This is Audible. Side Hustle Millionaire How to Build a Side Business That Creates Financial Freedom by Tony Watley. Narrated by the author. Dedication This book is dedicated to all the people who have positively influenced my life, to those who have supported me unconditionally even when my dreams seemed outrageous. This book is also dedicated to each of you that finds the message within it and are driven to pursue your potential. I can't wait to meet you. Dreams can come true, but only by taking action. First of all, thank you for investing in this audiobook. It's been a year since I wrote the paperback and it released on Amazon, reaching number one in the business marketing category. But in the spirit of creating more value, I've decided to add more content to the audio version of this book by adding a few sidebars, maybe some more opinions or commentary, maybe things that I've learned over the last year since this book has came out. So those of you that have just found this book, thank you for that. And I hope you enjoy the sidebar and the additional comment that I include in this edition. Introduction. Who is this book for? This book is for the self-motivated individual who simply wants more than what his or her current career path offers. You may have already invested years of your time and thousands of dollars into your career. Perhaps you've already attained a college degree, specialized training, or certifications. You view these as personal investments you've made and find it difficult to simply walk away from them. You don't necessarily dislike what you do. You may even love what you do. You may have even reached what most would consider a high level of income, but you've come to the realization that your career path does not lead you to the financial success or quality of life that you wish to have. You could be just craving a creative outlet or wanting to do something to enhance your leadership skills. Maybe you'd like to have a hobby that pays for itself. You may just feel like you are operating nowhere near your potential. Welcome to the side hustle. No doubt you've heard this catchy phrase. It's a play on the popular word hustle that gets tossed around on social media and in numerous entrepreneurship teachings. The side hustle is exactly what the name implies. It is a business that you operate on the side. The good news? You do not have to quit your job or discard your financial safety net in order to create a side hustle. My goal is is to help you to master the mindset and the methods that I have personally used to create multiple businesses and generate astounding income levels. Sidebar. There's been a lot of discussion out there recently where people are trying to figure out what they think a side hustle is, but I think it's important as the author to share my perceptions on what a side hustle is and what it is not. A side hustle is a business or something that you're created to create additional income alongside your normal paying career. It is not getting a part-time job. It is not driving for Uber or Lyft or any other things that require more hours representing somebody else's brand. So to me, the definition of entrepreneur is someone who owns the brand, represents the brand, and also has the deciding authority to change brands, corporate cultures, or internal policies. So if you're representing some other brand, that's really just working for somebody else. That's not being an entrepreneur. And that is just my take on it. 
You may have a different opinion, but it's important to understand where my basis comes from. Who is the author? I'm Tony Watley. I grew up in a small town outside of Houston, Texas. My dad is a veteran U.S. Marine that served in the Vietnam War. After the military, he worked his way up through the blue-collar ranks of the Houston area chemical refineries. My mom spent her entire career serving meals to children as a cafeteria lady in the public school system. My dad instilled in me his values of integrity, toughness, and leadership. My mom taught me the empathy of others, creativity, and patience. Both of my parents taught me that life isn't fair and that I'd have to work for whatever I wanted in life. I put myself through college while working full-time as a pipe fitter and a welder, attending college at night. On weekends, I also worked in restaurants to help pay the bills. It took me seven years to earn a degree in mechanical engineering. Those were tough years. I was severely in debt and struggled to keep up. I only slept about four hours per night. My grades and relationships suffered, but I never quit. I've held a fascinating career in oil and gas since I was 18. Having started in the field, I later began working my way through engineering design roles and then made my way into project management. I've worked overseas in Europe as well as in Africa. I enjoy the innovation, challenge, and complexity of managing $100 million plus large-scale projects. I thrive in these leadership roles. By several measures, I've led a successful and highly paid corporate career. But having a corporate career was never enough for me. I wanted a creative outlet, more responsibilities, and some padding for my added financial stability. Alongside my oil career, I slowly became an expert at creating side hustle businesses. I started a few businesses that have generated incredible income with minimal time requirements. Once these businesses were set up, I've managed them in only one to two hours per day. One of these side businesses generated multiple six figures of yearly profit, far more than my oil career at the time. In 2007, at age 34, I became a millionaire when a business partner and I sold our company for multiple seven figures. All of this was accomplished in our spare time, a true side hustle business for each of us. A few years ago, I began to ponder my main purpose in life. I've always enjoyed teaching, so I decided I wanted to teach others how to become the best version of themselves. I want to help businesses become more successful. I truly enjoy helping those who are willing to learn, those willing to take action. Your success is how I define my success. In the past, I've never had any formal mentors to discuss my business and success goals with. I only had hundreds of books and the people that I admired. I learned by trial and error, and I failed plenty of times along the way. Although I've accomplished much, I now realize that I could have progressed much faster if I had utilized mentors and coaches, people who had accomplished the things that I desired to achieve, mentors who would help me focus, create a strategy, and hold me accountable. This is why I wrote this book. I look forward to helping you. More details of my story and personal experiences can be found at the final chapter of this book. Before we get into the book, I would like to take this opportunity to get you caught up to speed on what has been an incredible year since the release of the paperback in May of 2018. 
We've sold thousands of copies of this book. It had an amazing reception. It's been regarded very well in the press and the media. Excellent reviews on Amazon, and I thank you for those. It's really catapulted my business coaching career. I've got several happy clients that I'm helping startups scale and sell their companies. This book has also led me to create and launch the 365 Driven Podcast. It is an entrepreneurship-based show where I interview highly successful entrepreneurs, thought leaders, and experts in several aspects of business. And it's available on iTunes, Google Play, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, and SoundCloud. I hope you'll tune in. To say that the reception has been excellent would be an understatement. And most importantly, I would like to take this moment to thank the massive community that is formed around to support this project and this book. Those of you that are in the 365 Driven community on Facebook, thank you for the support and the continued support of the things that we're working on together. It's an amazing community. For those who are listening to this book, I encourage you to go find it. It's called 365 Driven Entrepreneurs. It's a Facebook group. There are thousands of other like-minded, helpful entrepreneurs willing to support each other answer questions, and help each other level up. And that's becoming a great community. We're only at the beginning of things, and I have some amazing plans for that community. So I invite you to come and check it out. Anyways, let's get into the book. Chapter 1, Entrepreneur. What do you think about when you hear the word entrepreneur? Do popular names immediately come to mind, such as Bezos, Musk, or Zuckerberg? Do you perceive this title as something to aspire to? It almost seems like a very cool and exclusive club membership, a way to tell the world that you are a confident risk taker that bets on yourself, that you're in control of your own destiny. Social media, print, and television have sensationalized and glamorized the successful entrepreneur they have elevated the perceived social status of those who were once simply called business owners. There are thousands of celebrities and professional athletes who have also taken on the title of entrepreneur later in their careers. We are almost confronted daily with motivational images that say things such as no risk, no reward. The cold, hard truth is that being an entrepreneur is hard. It takes dedication, discipline, and putting in the work. There is no get-rich-quick. That simply doesn't exist. While we may be fascinated with the success stories, we rarely hear about the numerous failure stories. Research from the Bureau of Labor Statistics shows that 20% of new businesses fail within their first year. At the five-year mark, only 50% of those businesses still remain open. There are far more failure stories out there than success stories. Starting a full-time business is a risky proposition. The statistics simply do not lie. Knowing the failure rate, we must look for ways to reduce risk. I find no honor in recommending that you push some sort of career reset button and quit your job because you want to become an entrepreneur. This would be like jumping out of a flying airplane without a parachute on. With proper control of a parachute, you can actually control where you land and you will eventually arrive at your personal goal. Once you arrive safely on the ground, then it may make sense to remove that career parachute and take a business on full time. Or perhaps you could continue to run it as a side business indefinitely 
as a supplemental income source, it could be something that generates passive income or maybe even something that safeguards you against downturns in your career. We all have financial obligations to ourselves and to our families. I suggest to my clients that they attempt to earn as much income as possible in the most efficient manner as possible. If you can earn six figures from your normal career, it may not make financial sense to earn less doing your own business just to claim you're an entrepreneur. If at some point your side hustle begins to take off and can replace your career income, wait until then to reevaluate the arrangement. There was a time that my side hustle business was generating far more income than my engineering career, but I had the time to do both. Some would have quit their normal job, but my side hustle was only requiring about one to two hours per day of my time. The business wasn't a distraction and I could more than double my income by operating both concurrently. This was simply making efficient use of my time to maximize my income. Side hustlers and solopreneurs. You may have already done some initial research on the world of side hustle businesses. There are numerous podcasts, blogs, books, and videos on this subject. There is no shortage of ideas or opinions available, but I feel it is important to share my viewpoint on this popular niche of side businesses. This way you can see the foundation of my decision-making and where it comes from. I feel the majority of the side hustle business community sets goals far too low. Worse yet, they don't set goals at all. I find that most businesses are built around providing a product or service that doesn't consider future business expansion, growth, or scalability. Many of the markets people get into consume a lot of their time and produce minimal profit. Just because a business is considered part-time, that doesn't necessarily mean that you should limit yourself to part-time levels of income. Your time is what is valuable. We never get a refund on the time we have spent. This ties back into my previous statement of earning the most income possible in the most efficient manner as possible. If your financial goals are just to earn a couple hundred extra bucks per month, you can do this very easily. If you eventually want to replace your career income, picking the right business model is vital. Let's say that you're considering two different business model ideas to start. Both require the same time commitment from you, but one has a greater potential. Would you rather earn $300 extra per month or $30,000 extra per month? The choice is yours, but I prefer to earn far more for my time. It is my goal to teach you this mindset, even if you still decide to choose smaller goals afterwards. At the very least, this mindset will raise financial awareness about your business ideas. Summary, Chapter 1 the title of entrepreneur can be a source of pride and is something that's admired by others. There's no such thing as get rich quick. Being an entrepreneur is hard and it takes work. About 20% of businesses fail in the first year. By five years, about 50% of those remaining businesses have also closed. You must learn to identify, calculate, and mitigate risk. Most business owners start with goals set far too low. Set them high. Consider your time. Would you prefer to earn more or less for the same amount of time? Recommended reading. Crushing It by Gary Vaynerchuk. The Five Second Rule by Mel Robbins. The School of Greatness by Lewis Howes. The Four Hour Workweek by Timothy Ferris.
Awaken the Giant Within by Tony Robbins. Quote, Many of life's failures are people who did not realize how close they were to success when they gave up. Thomas Edison, famous inventor. And now for some commentary. Those of you that have bought this book, you've probably already made the decision that you would like to start some business. And I applaud you for taking action to actually put this in, in motion. It's the biggest hurdle most people never overcome. One of the questions that you may hear a lot of times is, can anybody be an entrepreneur? And I've given that a lot of thought, and I used to think that it was possible for anybody to be an entrepreneur, but I've really come to reality in my own opinion that it's just not for everybody. There's a lot of people out there who are not self-motivated. They're not willing to put in the work that it requires. And a lot of times people think that they're an entrepreneur when they join some of an MLM or some get rich quick type scheme, or they're always looking for some short-term opportunities. These people never really make it long-term in business. Entrepreneurs, true entrepreneurs, really lay out the plan. They really think about longer-term goals and the required steps that are necessary to get there. I would say that it can be taught, but the individual has to be willing and ready to put forth that effort in the first place. And let's be honest here. There's a lot of people out there that are more suited to being employees. The thought of them going out on their own, the thought of them risking things, the thought of them taking on more responsibility creates a lot of fear and anxiety in them. And they would much rather just show up somewhere where there's an eight to five posted on the front door and take orders from a supervisor for the rest of their life. You can usually spot these people because they give you this look of fear when you start talking to them about how you started your own business or how you plan to start your own business. And the next chapter is really going to go into mindset. And there's a lot of things about mindset that do not get covered a lot in business books. Mindset is the most critical part of becoming an entrepreneur or starting a business. And I'm going to spend a lot of time in the next chapter explaining the mindset. And I'll give you some recaps on how I personally think or my own routine at the end of that chapter. So let's get ready for mindset. Chapter two, mindset. Before you head down the path of creating your own business, you must first work on the most important aspect of business ownership, your mindset. This will take some strong self-awareness and you have to be honest with yourself. Lying to yourself serves no purpose. Unlike other business startup books, I'll be spending far more time on mindset, behaviors, and habits of successful people in this book. This subject is vital and this will likely be the most important chapter of this book. Your mindset serves as the foundation of which your company gets built and determines if it will succeed. Conquer the excuses. There are no shortage of excuses available when it comes to the consideration of starting a new business. Many people have simply created mental roadblocks and self-imposed limits on their own potential. Most of us already know the answers to our hardest questions, yet we still seek validation from others to take that first step. The internal struggle here is the real battle and nothing more. While gathering research data for this book, I sent out a series of questions to my social media network. I received over 100 responses back from a group that consists of current business owners and those who are aspiring to become entrepreneurs. There was no specific industry requirement, 
no age or gender bias, nor any business revenue target. I received feedback from at least five different countries as well. This effort was purely to discover the main reasons that people do not start their first business and to identify the main drivers to starting a business. While I had their valuable attention, I also asked people what lessons they've learned, what challenges they've faced, and what changes they would make if they were to start all over again. The data below is expressed in the percentage based on the number of responses received. I removed any single digit percentage responses to provide more focus on the predominant replies. What were the top three reasons that kept you from or delayed you from starting a business? 58% responded, fear, self-doubt, and lack of confidence. 56% lack of money or funding. 36% lack of knowledge, experience, or education. 33% already had comfortable salary and benefits. 25% lack of time. 25% too many ideas, lack of focus. 18% negative influence from friends or family. Fear is imaginary. Fear is the number one reason that most people do not attempt to do something. Respondents to the questionnaire mentioned the fear of failure, fear of rejection, and even mentioned the fear of becoming successful. You can come up with a myriad of other surface level excuses, but many of them stem from simply being afraid. This is the difference between having a fixed mindset versus a growth mindset. Here is a secret that few seem to openly discuss when it comes to chasing success. Failure is a part of the process. Failure should be avoided when possible, but it also should be expected. There are only two outcomes from an attempt at anything. You either win or you learn. Think back to all the failures you've experienced in your life. Didn't you learn something from those? Absolutely. The sooner that you reframe failure as a part of the process to achieving success and accept that it sometimes happens, the sooner you will be willing to take that leap. Stop avoiding the pain of effort and accepting the pain of regret. Pain is temporary. Regret lasts forever. Are you worried about what other people will say if you fail? Throw that nonsense out the window. Put their comments into context. Have any of them accomplished what you desire to accomplish? Have any of them been brave enough to step in the same arena as you? It is more honorable to have tried and failed than to have never tried at all. Fear is imaginary. It is intangible. You can't put your hands on it. It's purely a mental roadblock which you will need to put in serious effort to improve upon. It is unfortunate that so many people are held back from reaching their potential simply because they lack self-confidence. Confidence is purely a decision. It isn't some genetic characteristic. You simply have to decide to be confident, even if it feels uncomfortable at first. This is how you build real confidence, by trying it more often. If you want to change something in your life, you must be willing to decide to step out of your comfort zone and take action. You can never expect change without first changing yourself in the process. Instead of focusing so much on what if I fail, consider reframing that mindset into what if I succeed? What would your life look like if you were to succeed? Focus on that. No money. Lack of money was near the top as expected. However, many of these business owners mentioned that the money excuse was mostly a figment of their imagination prior to getting started. 
Once they actually started the company, they realized how inexpensive it can actually be to start a business. Not every business requires huge funding. Many can be started for only a few hundred bucks. So before you put money as a reason not to start, be sure to evaluate if the business you want to start actually requires a large investment. You may find that it doesn't. With e-commerce websites such as Amazon, eBay, and Shopify, you can literally set up an online retail business with minimal effort and no knowledge of website creation. There are certainly well-known companies that started with millions invested. The fact is that there are also millions of companies that started with little or no money invested. The company that I earned the most from only cost $350 to start. Six years later, it sold for millions. While this example is certainly an exception, the potential still exists. Other people have sold startup companies for billions in shorter amounts of time. Money should never be your excuse for not starting a business. It just should motivate you to solve the root problem, how to get more money. You can use crowdfunding, borrow from banks, friends, or family. You can choose to bootstrap fund it by working extra jobs, reducing unnecessary expenses, or by selling some of your possessions. There are numerous ways to solve the money issues that all involve some sort of sacrifice. If this business is important to you, then you simply need to prioritize your expenses. If you lack money, trade your time for more money. You may even decide to start a simple side hustle business or service just to save up more money to parlay that savings into a different business later. Your dream business may just become possible after you've built and sold a few smaller businesses along the way. I don't know enough. Feeling as if you do not have enough experience or knowledge is also similar to lack of money in one way. It was only a perceived roadblock as many entrepreneurs discovered that they were able to start and learn as they go. The truth is we never stop learning. Learning isn't something we did. It is something we do. Lack of knowledge is a weak excuse, especially for anyone who has access to a smartphone or the internet. The world is simply and literally at your fingertips. You can teach yourself anything you want by reading books or blogs, listening to podcasts, finding a mentor, joining a Facebook group on the subject, watching YouTube videos, and the like. There is no shortage of information available 24 hours per day. This excuse may have been more valid in 1999, but it simply doesn't apply today. Some of the most successful people I personally know do not have a formal education. Some are even high school dropouts. Some even have learning disabilities like ADHD or dyslexia. These people became self-made multimillionaires. You've no doubt heard numerous stories that are similar. You may even know of a few people like this. Education or knowledge is a minor barrier, which is easy to overcome. You simply have to decide to learn something. Picking up this book proves that you're already committed to doing so. Don't stop with just this book. Consume all sorts of knowledge that will help you achieve your goals. Think of this book as just the baseline, the starting point. Once I discovered free podcasts and audiobooks, it opened up a world of potential mentors and thought leaders on every conceivable subject. I prefer audiobooks and podcasts because I can listen while I do other daily routines. You can listen while you're driving or commuting, during exercise, and even during meals. You may find that you have a few hours per day to increase your knowledge just by putting on a pair of earphones. Most audiobooks only take about six to eight hours to listen to. 
The same book might take you months to finish by reading because you can't read while doing other things. The $10 to $15 you typically spend on a book is worthwhile if you just learn one thing from it. No time. People love to tell other people that they are just too busy to add more activities to their plate. Saying that you don't have time is just a socially acceptable excuse for saying that something is not a priority to you. The truth is that we always make time for our priorities, no matter what they may be. It is purely your choice, your decision, to make something your priority. The things that you're doing right now are your priority. You just haven't felt enough pain yet in order to shift priorities. Make a list of all the small things that take place in your daily routine to see where you could be wasting precious time. Could you be doing things more efficiently to help get some of that time back? Are there distractions are you willing to give up to focus on your business? In today's digital business landscape, you may only need 10 minutes per day to keep a business operating once it is established. This is entirely possible. For those who claim that they are waiting for the right time to start, here's the harsh reality. There will never be a right time to start. The perfect time is right now. The excuses that you are using to keep yourself from starting today will just be replaced with a different group of excuses tomorrow. This will never end unless you break that cycle. In this book, you will learn to prioritize individual tasks to form a complete process. When you know exactly which next step to take, you won't focus on the entire project as a whole. You'll learn to execute each step in order. Once you learn to prioritize your tasks, you will then be able to focus on the most important task each day. This is the single task that moves you furthest towards your goal. This task is also typically the one that causes you to feel the most pain or anxiety. The painful tasks have an uncanny way of being the priority tasks. Don't run from these priorities, face them head on and get them over with. Distracting yourself with other less important tasks may make you fool yourself into thinking you are busy, but busy is not the same thing as being productive. You must learn to politely say no to distractions. One of the resounding statements that we hear in leadership courses is this, work on the problems that you should work on, not the problems that you want to work on. Squirrel syndrome. Have you ever observed an unleashed dog at the park? They go nuts at the sight of a squirrel. And they run their legs off in hot pursuit of that bushy-tailed rodent. That is, until they see another squirrel, which causes them to change direction and go hard charging at the newest target. Repeat this enough times and we all know the outcome. They'd never catch a squirrel, and even if they did, they wouldn't know what to do with one. Quit chasing squirrels or shiny objects in your life. This is a lack of focus issue. You're not alone when it comes to having numerous ideas or products or services to offer the world. Ideas are the easy part, so don't pat yourself on the back for having a bunch of creative ideas. Ideas are worthless unless you take action to execute them. You may be also suffering from analysis paralysis, which is when you overthink everything so much that you become paralyzed and fearful to take further action. Starting and operating a company seems overwhelming when you take a moment to think about everything required to do so as a complete project. It certainly looks overwhelming when you think of every single aspect of a business as a huge mountain of tasks. I even suffered from the same paralysis when it came to writing this book. I've never written a book or published anything before. The idea for this book was in my mind for a couple of years. 
I even had an outline for the rough draft already completed a year before I began typing. But I always hesitated to begin until I trusted the process. Later in this book, I will uncover how to quickly evaluate your ideas, gain focus, and set priorities. You found the right resource. Circle of friends and family. I address this topic quite often with my clients, the influencing power of your inner circle of friends and family. People love to keep relationships and attachments, even if they are negative or caustic. It is difficult for people to let go and they try to please everyone. If you're not being supported within your inner circle, it is time to find a better circle. Spend less time with those who hold you back and replace them with people who encourage and support you. If you need proof that this is a good idea, ask every single successful person you know how important this is. Many times, negative circles can also alter your perception of successful people. Our politics and news media outlets have historically been very purposeful about engaging in economic division. We constantly hear about the groupings of poverty class, middle class, upper class. This class mindset makes the majority of people feel stuck within a specific class and this can diminish their hopes of ever upgrading financial classes. You may have even had parents, family, or friends that influenced you into thinking all rich people were unethical. You may come from a background where discussing money is considered taboo and that you may believe that you shouldn't talk about it with other people. This could result in a negative perception of success and an underlying fear of having others judge you if you become successful. How will you ever earn money if you're afraid to even talk about it? In order to succeed, you have to make yourself comfortable with being uncomfortable. Gain knowledge in any subject and you will gain the confidence in discussing that subject. Take a look at the source of your negative idea of money and put things into context. You will find that successful people who are more comfortable with discussing money are unlikely to hold the view that other successful people have had. I've found that when you surround yourself with other successful people, they tend to lift each other up, not talk each other down. Successful people understand that there is no shortage or opportunity of success. There is plenty to go around. Loser mindset people think that if someone else gains more success, somehow they lose some success themselves. Loser mindset people express jealousy and hatred for those who have more than them. They see the final results of a successful person, but never acknowledge the struggle it took to reach that level. It requires effort for them to improve and become disciplined, but it takes nothing for them to hate. I grew up without money, and I was fortunate to have parents that wanted me to dream and to achieve great things. I never heard them disparage anyone, especially about their financial standing. I grew up watching the amount of effort and work that it took for my parents to pay the bills. I understood that money was a positive thing. Personally, I feel it is your duty to earn up to your potential. What you do with the excess money is up to you. If you're into philanthropy, you can donate the excess. If you want to increase the quality of your lifestyle, you can spend that excess in numerous ways. I want everyone to be as successful as they have the possibility to become. Having extra money is just a way of having more options in life available to you. I've been broke and severely in debt before. I had no options except for doing more work. I worked three jobs and did whatever I could do to dig myself out of that deep hole. It was a very low point in my life, but I never gave up. I put my head down and I got to work. It took me three years just to get back to zero. 
That's right, zero. We've all heard the popular statement that money does not buy happiness. I agree wholeheartedly with this statement. I've known several people in my lifetime that went from broke to rich and others that went from rich to broke. Income level does not change attitude or demeanor. If you're optimistic and happy when you're broke, you'll also be happy when you're rich. If you're negative and pessimistic when you're broke, you'll also be negative when you're rich. There isn't a direct relationship between money and happiness. That is an individual character issue. There are plenty of other books and doctors that can help you find your happiness. If you find that your circle of friends and family keeps surrounding you with negative mindsets, you must move on. Reasons to start. Now that we've covered all the popular excuses for not starting a business, let's look into the popular reasons why people do start businesses. I asked the question, what were your top three reasons to start a business? 82% of respondents said independence or flexibility. 73% said increase of income. 35% said to gain a sense of personal accomplishment. 24% said following passion, fun, or enjoyment. 20% said to help other people build a legacy. Freedom. There was certainly a breakaway response from this pack of responses. While the potential increase in income was important to most, the idea of being in control of their own destiny was the most important reason to start a business. How many of these reasons resonated with you? The next question. In regards to your side hustle business, what reasons keep you from quitting your normal career? 49% of respondents said the need for steady income or benefits. 20% stated they enjoy their current career. The funny thing about this question is I did not request any specific amount of reasons, but we ended up with basically two reasons that people would start a side hustle business rather than focus on making a full-time business. People said they simply could not walk away from the financial stability that their nine to five job offers. Some even love their current job. They just want to increase the income on the side. Does this sound familiar? Next question. Once your business was started, what were your three most difficult challenges about running the business? 40% of respondents said managing cash flow, financial, and taxes. 31% stated lack of salesmanship or marketing skill. 29% said managing partners, employees, or contractors. 20% said time management. 16% said managing growth or expansion. And 11% said work-life balance. The number one reason businesses fail is cash flow. Some online studies suggest as much as 80% of failed businesses are directly related to cash flow problems. Money is the lifeblood of your company and it is essential for you to manage it properly. You should make the financials the number one responsibility in your business because you cannot operate without money. As a business consultant, I can't count how many times I've seen small businesses fail because they got behind on bills and try to drum up new business to pay for the old debts. This always leaves the last round of customers screwed when the doors eventually shut down on the business. Get ahead of that. Be sure to keep enough cash on hand to operate your business and flow that money through the process properly. Make sure you're collecting on money owed to you. Marketing and selling seem to be really weak skills for many new business owners. Pay extra attention to this. Just because you are a technical wizard or have some awesome talent or knowledge in a niche 
This doesn't make you good at selling. This is business 101. Your business must exist to create a financial transaction. Too many people jump into starting a business but have no clue on how to advertise, capture leads, or close a deal. There are numerous books, courses, and coaches out there that can help you with this. Do not take this lack of skill lightly. Next question. Has your business achieved your original goals? 47% of respondents said it has not met their goals. 22% said it exceeded their goals. 13% said it met their goals. This feedback shows the hard truth. Not every company is successful in the eyes of the owner. I know that it seems trendy for people to want to become entrepreneurs, but the reality is that there is still a lot of work required. Many times, we are buried under trivial tasks that we should be delegating or outsourcing, and we do not accomplish the priority tasks. There are many important aspects to running a business, and many times, you will feel like you're just trying to coordinate chaos. We spend too much time trying to fix our personal weaknesses rather than hiring others who will complement our strengths. Next question. If you could do things all over again, what would you do differently? 31% of respondents said they would have started sooner. 15% said find a coach, accountability, partner, or mentor. 11% said been more focused on the core business. I received numerous responses to this open-ended question, but there were only three that got into the double digits of responses. Starting sooner was certainly the most common response, and this should help encourage you to take that first step. There is a Chinese proverb that I enjoy thinking about, which goes like this. The best time to plant a tree was 20 years ago. The second best time is today. Those who responded wishing they had started sooner no doubt feel this tree proverb in their mind. They can imagine where they would be today had they started growing their businesses sooner. The second most popular response was simply asking others for help. Even though we always hear successful people recommend finding a mentor or coach, it seems too many of us put this task aside. We allow our pride, ego, and anxiety to hold us back from asking for advice from others. Those who have already done what you want to do can save you years, if not decades, of your time. You will learn about their failures and how to avoid them. You will learn about their strategies for growth and how to implement them. I've also been guilty of not asking for help or advice while trying to feed a false sense of pride that I did everything myself. I now understand how much more I could have accomplished had I used mentors sooner. You see, even a business consultant and coach still needs an occasional mentor. Never be afraid to ask for help. Just be respectful of other people's time and never hesitate to help others when called upon yourself. I hope this research data has been useful for your mental processing of when and why to start. I hope it shows you that the fears and thoughts that you currently have are common and that you aren't alone. Hopefully this will help you reduce your fears and encourage your bravery. Summary, Chapter 2 Your mindset serves as a foundation on which your company gets built and it determines if it succeeds. Fear and confidence are both imaginary. You simply decide which one to live with. If you don't have the money to start your dream business, perhaps you should start a different business to build up and sell, and then use that money that you earn from selling that business to buy your next dream business. 
Lack of knowledge is a weak excuse considering the knowledge available on the internet, podcasts, books, videos, and everything else on the internet. You can truly learn anything you want. Saying I don't have time is the exact same thing as saying it isn't my priority. We always make time for our priorities. The things that you're doing now are your priorities. Business ideas are the easy part. Don't give yourself too much credit for having ideas. Ideas are worthless unless you take action on them. Your circle of influence matters. Distance yourself from naysayers, haters, and those who do not support your dream. Find new networks that will encourage and support you. The main reason businesses fail is poor cash flow management. This results in about 80% of all business failures. Recommended reading. The 10X Rule by Grant Cardone. The Success Principles by Jack Canfield. Relentless by Tim Grover. Extreme Ownership by Jocko Willink. The Alchemist by Paolo Coelho. Daring Greatly by Dr. Brene Brown. The One Thing by Gary Keller and Jay Papasan. Quote, Successful and unsuccessful people do not vary greatly in their abilities. They vary in their desires to reach their potential. Lewis Howes, entrepreneur, best-selling author, and podcast host. Now for some commentary. You guys just heard a lot of excuses that get commonly used and also some responses to those common excuses. And hopefully it's got your mind stirring a little bit, but that's on purpose. I wanted to touch on some other things that maybe cover really the basis of mindset, because to me, mindset is everything. And maybe someday I'll even write an entire book on mindset that's more than can be covered in just one chapter. Believe me, there's so many excellent books out there and experts on mindset. But let me teach you some things about my habits and daily routines. And I get that there's other books out there that even have like the millionaire mindset and things like this. Well, I'm going to give you my version of that. I haven't used an alarm clock in several years, even with a corporate job, because I find that I can control when I go to bed and my body just tends to wake up. I usually sleep about seven hours on average. So from the time I lay my head down and I go to sleep, I usually wake up about seven hours later. So if I know that I need to get up at five in the morning, then I go to bed at an appropriate time. So think about that. Be more in control of the time you go to sleep rather than when you think that you're just sleepy. So you're going to go to go to bed at random times or stay up too late. I don't believe in the miracle morning, Hal Elrod, good book, but I don't believe that everybody is a one size fit all. I don't think that everybody's meant to wake up in the morning and do their exercise first thing and such and such and such journaling and, and meditation. These are all things that are definitely useful, but the book is very much, I guess, dictating the schedule or the, the course of arena. That's why it's called Miracle Morning. And there's a lot of people that believe in it, but it's not for everybody. So here's what I want to share on my version of that. I think that we're all different and we have to understand when our creative zone is. So everybody's got a creative zone in the day and you can tell that's usually when your brain is like on fire and it's a great time to do analytics and you're feeling creative. And then there's parts of the day that you don't feel creative and you feel like you're kind of brain dead or maybe you're just mentally exhausted. So obviously 
I try to find those creative zones within our day and guard that time. For me personally, I am a morning person and my creative zone is usually between 6 a.m. till about noon. Sometimes around 1 to 2 p.m. I start to fade mentally. And what I've learned is that the beauty of working from home nowadays is that I can actually go take a 30 to 45 minute nap now in the middays. And then when I wake up from that nap, I am charged up and ready to go again. Now, that doesn't always work when you're working at a corporate job, obviously, unless you're working for someone like Google or Facebook that has the nap rooms. Holler, because those are awesome, by the way. Now, here's the thing. If you know that you're going to fade in the afternoon, then maybe that's the time that you should be starting to do things that require more physical work or less analytical and creative work. So if you're writing a book, if you're creating any kind of content, that should all be done during the creative zone. For me, it happens to me in the morning. For some other people, it happens to be at night. We're all different. It isn't one size fits all. So try to find out where your biological clock is telling you that you're most creative and see if there's a way to carve out that time to do the creative work. For me, my fitness regimen, I go to the gym six days a week, sometimes seven days a week. But I do those typically in the evening when I'm feeling kind of that brain fog, when I'm not really feeling creative. That's when I go do the physical aspect of my day. And that's one thing I like to touch on as well is exercise, proper diet. These are so essential. They are more important than mindset. And although I didn't touch on the physicalities of things for entrepreneurs in this book, I just want you to understand that is very important. There's a lot of benefits from being healthy. For one, you get to live and enjoy that success that you're going to find. But secondly, it takes a lot of energy to do the things that we do to become successful. So when you're exercising, you gain more energy, more durability, more stamina. And honestly, it makes your brain a lot more clear on the things that you need to work on. When you can create discipline in your body, discipline in your diet, that level of discipline also spills over into your discipline of your business. So the other aspect of fitness and being in shape, physically fit, is that it creates a tremendous amount of confidence, which is a requirement for a successful entrepreneur. You want to be the most confident version of yourself possible. And I'll tell you that it wasn't always like that for me. When I was 35, shortly after selling that first company, till the age of 40, for that period of five years, I basically let my health kind of wane. I started gaining weight, I became weaker. Climbing a flight of stairs made me huff and puff. And it just really was not the way I defined myself. And when I hit 40, that was a milestone for me. And I looked down, I saw my belly sticking out past my chest and realized that in my teens and my 20s, I was an athlete and I was always physically fit. That is who I wanted to become or who I wanted to portray. So when I let myself go in my mid-30s, it really just became a defining moment when I hit 40. to be like, you know what? I need to get back in control of this. This is not how I would like to present myself to the world. So I made those changes and I started going back to the gym. And I'll tell you, it wasn't easy. That first two months, it was a struggle. But like with anything, anything worth having requires struggle, requires effort, requires some pain to push through to get to the results. So I'm 46 now at the time of recording this and I'm in the best physical shape I've ever been in my entire life because I've fully committed to eating healthier and exercising on a nearly daily basis. So again, confidence. When you 
when you walk into the room and your your fit and your clothes fit properly, I guarantee that you're going to have a much higher level of confidence than whatever you have at this moment if you're suffering from fitness or health issues. So get those addressed, guys. We want to keep you around. We want you to be able to enjoy that success with yourself and your family and hopefully your generational legacy that's going to be impacted by the decisions you create from taking these entrepreneurial steps. I also wanted to touch on fixed versus growth mindset. I mentioned it in the chapter, but again, there's entire books based on fixed versus growth mindsets. And the high level way of understanding that is there's a lot of people that most, most people I would say are fixed mindset. They have a certain beliefs around things or standards, and they never learn to question why they believe what they believe. They just basically take things at face value. Maybe it's the political things or, or the news things that they're watching, the headlines they're watching, television they're, you know, they're watching, the, the friends they're hanging around, create these core level beliefs that they never question. And they feel like this competitive nature against other people doing better than them. And they just get uncomfortable rather than seeing that as a motivation. So whenever you start to see other people, if you start to feel envy or jealousy and you start to talk negative self-talk into your head, then you may be bordering on that fixed mindset. And it's something that we can address with other books. Just be aware of that because you can use those opportunities to motivate you to do more rather than dislike other people for having more. We all have self-limiting beliefs. It's amazing. Even in my 40s, I discover self-limiting beliefs that I've had, and it's really based on the environment that you're raised in, the teachers, your parents, your friends. A lot of times, the goals that you had set for yourself, especially in your corporate career, you determine later on that they actually were not your actual goals, but they were somebody else's goals that you were living up to. And I'll find that a lot of clients that come work with me, they discover that the career path that they took may have been the result of something that their parents suggested for them or their peers. Because let's face it, when we start to set the direction or pathway to our careers, a lot of times we're still you know, 18, 19 years old. We don't have a lot of basis. We don't have a lot of life experience. We're taking advice from people that we trust at that time, only to find out years later, maybe five, 10 years down the road, that their advice really wasn't that sound. It was just the only advice that we had we trusted it in that moment. We pursued a path. We made a lot of investments in money and time, getting training or education in that aspect. And we go down that path and we discover this is not really what I wanted to do. This is not who I really am. So think about back when you were a child, you ask a five-year-old what they want to be when they grow up and they never have a boring answer. What did you want to be when you were five years old, when you were in kindergarten, and someone asks you, what did you want to be? What was that answer? Do you still remember that? Well, maybe there are some clues in that answer that that was the life or the career path that you should have followed. So if you're listening to this and you understand, what am I doing now? Is that aligned with what I really dreamed? Is that really aligned with what I truly believe in? Well, the answer is either a yes or no. And hopefully it's a yes. But unfortunately for most of us, it was a no. And I just wanted you to really be aware and start to think about what these self-limiting beliefs that you may have or these goals that you've created that aren't your own goals, because it is a very, very powerful way to discover that your awareness highlights a lot of things that you didn't even think about twice. 
So we're going to get into more stuff. Hope you're enjoying the book so far. There's a lot of stuff to cover. So let's get after it. Before we get into chapter three, which is about ideas, I just wanted to preface this chapter and let you guys know that this is not a book that is going to spoon feed you ideas. And some of the feedback that I've gotten from a few other readers of the paperback, and they were basically expecting to open this book and find all these amazing ideas for their businesses. But you know what? People like that, that need to be spoon fed their ideas they're probably not reading the right book because there's several other side hustle books and small business books out there that will spoon feed you with a bunch of nonsense type businesses so you can earn, air quotes, make a couple extra hundred bucks a month. Well, if you read the title of this book, it's called Side Hustle Millionaire. I'm trying to teach you to think with a millionaire mindset, not play small ball and not try to focus on doing these little trinkets and things like that that are going to waste a huge amount of your time and create very little income. So let's lead into this chapter so you can actually learn how to think like a millionaire and come up with your own ideas and how to assess those against each other and come out with a perfect idea that's going to get you to your financial goals. So let's get into the chapter. Chapter three, ideas. The most difficult question for an aspiring entrepreneur is where to start. First, you need an idea for a product or service that you could earn income with. Even better, have several ideas to choose from. I see so many people failing at business because they want to start with the wrong purpose. I can't count how many of my contacts have bought into get-rich-quick type schemes or pursued specific industries only for the money potential. They fail because their heart simply isn't into the subject matter. They lose interest quickly or they get distracted by the next shiny business idea. If your sole purpose is to earn money, be sure that the business or product at least interests you. I always recommend that someone follow their passions and start a business based on something that they love. Money typically follows passion. When you work with your passions, you're less likely to give up and more likely to push towards success. You also tend to continually invest in yourself with education and training to master your passion subjects. Your passions can be identified with one simple question. If you could do one thing every day for the rest of your life and get paid for it, what would that be? Now, let's disregard the wisecrack answers of semi-pro beer drinker or TV show binge-watching expert. You still have to be realistic with your definition of your passions. Is the subject within your skill set or knowledge? Not everyone can be an Olympic gold medalist or disprove quantum physics theories. Some level of self-awareness is certainly required. You also have to come up with a method to earn income from the idea somehow. Everyone in the world has plenty of ideas. Ideas are the easy part. Every single day, thousands of people die with great ideas that were never shared with the world. Each of us can sit down and probably brainstorm at least 10 ideas for businesses to start based on products or services, but ideas are absolutely worthless unless you take action on them. Within this chapter, I will share how to quickly evaluate each of your ideas with a simple process. This is an important step to master so that you do not waste time or money chasing weak or risky ideas. I've made numerous mistakes during my entrepreneurial journey, 
I've discovered roadblocks and dead ends along the way, even some that I never considered. I want to help you navigate around these costly mishaps and learn from my mistakes. Business language. If you're new to the business world, do not let financial or business terminology scare you. The definitions are pretty simple and each is important to understand. I'd even suggest that you watch a full season of Shark Tank on TV if you want to get a grasp of how these terms are used. Let's introduce some common business terms so that you can think and speak in a financial sense. It is very important that you master these terms regardless of which business you pursue. Those who are not fluent in discussing business could get taken advantage of by those who are. Revenue. The total amount of income that your business receives from all sales within a specified time period, also known as gross income and sometimes called the top line. Expenses. This is the total of all true cost of operating your business, raw materials needed to build products, employee salaries, building lease costs, shipping, freight, utilities, taxes, marketing, and advertising, and any other cost, also known as overhead. Profit. This is what your company actually earns within a specified time period. It is what remains after you subtract all of the expenses from the revenue. This is also known as the bottom line, since it is the last line on a financial statement. Margin. The ratio between your business's revenue versus expenses. Divide the profit by the revenue and multiply that answer by 100 to get the margin percentage value. Margin can also refer to products or services. It is the ratio between the cost to create the product versus the price that it is sold for. The formulas for margin are, for a business, margin equals profit divided by revenue. For an individual product or service, margin equals price minus cost divided by price. Multiply each of these margin values by 100 to arrive at the percentage value, which is generally how margins are stated. Okay, now for some side commentary. I realized that just going through those definitions, it seemed a little bit clinical, maybe more engineering of me, and I wanted to give you guys a little bit more detail or maybe some examples of the use of these words so that when we go forward with the rest of this book, you'll be more comfortable understanding what we're talking about. So for those of you who are just getting into business, this is going to be really targeted for you. But let's use the word revenue. A lot of times you hear people out there, especially on social media or in the news, they talk about, hey, I've got a $10 million company or I've got a million dollar company, or I've got a $200,000 company. So what they're really talking about is not the actual value of their company. What generally most business owners speak in is revenue numbers per year. So when you hear someone say, hey, I've got a $2 million company, that means they're generally selling about $2 million worth of products and services per year. So that's so you understand what revenue means. Expenses, of course, I think everybody knows that one because even if you're not a business owner, you will have expenses. They're called car notes, insurance, home mortgages, you know, renting the apartments, whatever it is. So expenses are expenses, no matter whether it's business or personal. Profit, you know that one also. Profit is what you make after you take in the money and you spend what it costs to either produce or buy that object. So whatever is extra is your profit. But margin is another term that you may not be familiar with. So let's spend a little bit of time on margin. 
Typically, when we're talking about new products or services or a new industry or a niche, we want to know the margin, the general margin of that niche or that product or that, that service. And when we say that, we're really thinking about what is the profit margin? And to further elaborate from that, what we're saying is percentage-wise. So if I said, hey, I've got this product that's 25% margin, or I'm in this industry that's got 15% margin, what that's telling you is that I am making 15% profit. So think about like if you're waiting tables at a restaurant and you're relying on tips, generally most people tip 15 to 20% here in the US, that would be basically a margin because they're basically tipping you on the value of that check. So that's the margin you're going to be able to make on that check sale. So it's the same thing applies with business. Let's say that you have a $100 item and you know the margin is 25%. Well, that tells you right there, you're going to earn $25 every time you sell one of those. Speaking in margins, so you get an understanding of how to compare things against each other. And when you start to ask questions of other people who are doing things in different industries that you're interested in, you may just ask them, you know, what's the typical margin for that kind of a product? What is the typical margin for that kind of service? Because that's going to help dictate the things that you maybe should focus on, the main things you shouldn't focus on, because we start to lose in terms of the volume, when it's a really low margin, when you're making very little profit per sale, that means you're gonna to have to sell a lot more of those to make the same amount of money. So if you're selling something very expensive with a good margin, you're going to make the most money. So think about that, just margins always relative to the price and the profit that you end up with after you make the sale. And now back to the book. Brainstorm ideas. Let's do an exercise together. Take out a blank piece of paper, grab a pen, and turn on your imagination. Pause here to go get those items and come back. First, write down every single idea for a product or service that you may even remotely have interest in offering. Next, if you have any skills, knowledge, or talents that could be monetized, write those down. Next, what are your hobbies and passions? Write down business ideas that relate to those. Next, think of some ordinary problems that you face during your daily routine or while at work. Can you come up with solutions to solve those problems? Write those down. Next, keep writing down ideas no matter how small or how crazy they may seem. Keep writing until you can no longer think of anything else to add. You may even ask friends or family to participate in this brainstorm session to help identify other things that you could possibly have missed. Maybe they might recognize other strengths within you, which you may not even notice yourself. They may even have suggestions for businesses that they think you could be great at based on your skill set, knowledge, and personality. The best side hustles are based on skills, knowledge, or resources that you already have, or ideas that require very little time for you to learn and implement. Sure, it sounds like a dream to create that phone app that sells for a billion dollars to Google, but if you don't know how to build or program an app, it could take you years to learn how to do so. There is no easy way to success. There are only the right ways. If your dream invention consists of a product that requires extensive design, engineering, and millions of dollars invested to produce, but you don't have the knowledge or resources to accomplish it, then it may not be a good idea for you. This is when you must practice some self-awareness and utilize your current strengths and skills. Doing so will always help you start creating income sooner. Initial Evaluation 
Start with the end in mind. Now you may be thinking, what? How could I possibly know the end goal of my business? I haven't even started it yet. Don't worry, I'm not crazy and neither are you. Nobody is certain of where their business can take them, but we can certainly define some personal goals based on money. With your new list of potential business ideas in front of you, it is now time to evaluate each of them individually. Before you do this, you must first define your short-term and long-term profit goals. I recommend one-year, five-year, and 10-year profit goals. Think of measurable actual dollar values. Saying, I want to be rich, is not a measurable goal. There is no dollar value to measure against, and rich is a subjective description. Better examples of measurable goals are, I want to earn $200,000 per year, or I would like to earn $5 million in 10 years. Both of those statements are good specific goals, as there is a dollar value and a time value within each. This makes them measurable. You will know when you achieve these goals. I do not typically recommend setting goals that are just attainable or easy. I usually recommend aiming higher as larger goals are more likely to motivate you and keep you motivated. When people set goals too low, they become complacent, lazy, and content. With your defined profit goals in mind, you can then calculate the yearly revenue required to achieve that goal. This exercise will also test the validity and likelihood of each business idea to achieve the income level of your goals. Here is an example calculation. Let's say you want to open a new business and your financial goal is to earn $200,000 profit per year. You then do some Google research on this type of business niche to find the typical industry margin for similar businesses. This margin may also vary based on your geographical location. Let's assume that you discover that your business idea usually has an average 20% margin or 0.20. So now that you have your profit goal, $200,000 per year, and the industry margin, 0.20, we'll use this information to reverse calculate the revenue required to earn that level of profit. For a small business, the simple calculation is revenue equals profit divided by margin. Therefore, Revenue equals $200,000 per year divided by 0.20. Then this calculates out to revenue equals $1 million per year. This simple calculation tells you that in order to earn $200,000 profit per year at a 20% margin, you would need to have a sales revenue of at least $1 million in products or services per year. This quick calculation will likely tell you if your business idea is a waste of time or if the idea needs to be further refined to improve the potential. Does it seem realistic or possible to achieve the calculated sales revenue to reach your profit goal? Keep in mind that anything that you do to increase the margin value or increase the revenue will also increase profit. Perhaps your business idea isn't easily scalable for growth or maybe your potential customer base is just too small. Maybe the business expenses are simply too high and the product margins are too low, which adversely affects the business profit. By doing these simple calculations, you will find that many of your ideas do not align with the financial goals that you have. Do not be discouraged because this is quite common. You must be willing to accept the harsh reality of each of your business ideas. Some will have the potential to meet your goals and others will not. Your choice is either to reduce your financial goals 
or figure out how to increase sales revenue or think of some better business ideas. Don't waste a single minute chasing an idea that will never arrive at the goals that you have set. Create, plan, and execute only the best ideas that potentially reach your goals. Let's visualize what it takes to earn $1 million in revenue. $1 million. Following our previous revenue calculation example, you may be wondering how to create a revenue of $1 million per year. There are several ways to reach that final amount. Whenever you are considering products or services to sell, think about these scenarios and see which one of these may actually work for your business model. $1 million of revenue per year equals selling a $1 product to 1 million people, selling a $10 product to 100,000 people, selling a $1,000 product to 1,000 people, selling a $10,000 product to 100 people, selling a $100,000 product to 10 people, or selling a $1 million product to one person. Detailed Evaluation After you've completed the initial evaluation of your business ideas and filtered down your list down to the remaining potential choices, we can look into each with more detail. There are many factors and variables which can contribute to the success of a business. The deeper evaluation will begin to scrape away at the surface idea and possibly uncover several aspects or risks that you may not have considered yet. This is another paper and pen exercise, so go retrieve those items, hit pause, and come back. Looking at your remaining business ideas that you have, rate them in terms of your interest or motivation level. Rate them on a scale of 1 to 5, with 1 being the worst and 5 being the best. On the left side of your paper, write down the business ideas on a column on the left. Next, you'll be putting the number that you assign them and your level of motivation or interest. For my example in the book, I wrote down three different business ideas. I'll call them business idea A, B, and C. For business A, I assigned a arbitrary value of four as my motivation or interest in that particular business. This means a higher level of interest. For business B, I put a two, which means I have a little bit of interest, but not a whole lot in that idea. For business idea C, I put a three, which is kind of middle of the road. I don't hate it and I don't dislike it. Next, we rate each business in terms of profit potential. For business idea A, I rated it at number three. That means I'm not really certain about the profit potential. It's kind of middle of the road again. Business idea B, I gave a four, which means I have a little bit more certainty or hopefulness about reaching a profit goal. Business idea C, I gave a five. This means I have a really a lot of certainty or a lot of hope that it can reach the profit potential of my goals. Next, rate each business in terms of the efficiency of which you could get started sooner. This is to determine how much knowledge, equipment, money, or other resources you already have available to start up each idea. Again, with the rating of one through five, with one being the worst, five being the best, Let's rate these business ideas based on their efficiency to start up. Business idea A, I rated a five, which means I already have the skill sets, knowledge, money, or some of the resources needed to start that business up sooner. Business idea B, I rated a three, which means I have some resources, but not all of them, but it's still not a bad score. 
Business idea C, I also rated a three, the same as business idea B. With a simple little comparison test, we can use a math calculation to rate each of these ideas. Knowing that a higher total value means a better rating, we can assess the following. From the numbers that I scored earlier, I can compare each of these businesses against each other. From business idea A, on motivation and interest, I scored it a four. From profit potential, I scored it a three. For efficiency on startup, I scored it a five. So the total is four plus three plus five, which equals 12 for business idea A. Business idea B, I scored motivation and interest a two. I scored profit potential a four, efficiency of startup a three. The total for business idea B is two plus four plus three, which equals nine. For business idea C, I scored motivation and interest a three, profit potential a five, and efficiency of startup a three. Therefore, the total for business idea C is three plus five plus three, which equals 11. So in summary, business idea A totaled 12, business idea B totaled nine, business idea C totaled 11. From this simple quantitative comparison, it seems that idea A may represent the best odds at success as it has the highest and most desirable total. This is just one way to compare your ideas against each other. Simple business plan. Putting together a business plan doesn't have to be that complicated, especially if you aren't seeking a bank loan. It is essentially a summary of all the costs and expenses that you can think of compared to your hopeful projected sales revenue. Comparing cost versus revenue is how you forecast your profit. You can do this on a spreadsheet program rather quickly or just use a piece of paper and pen. Make two columns on your paper. The left column will represent your monthly expenses and costs. The right column will represent your monthly revenue received from sales. Calculate monthly costs and expenses. Within the left column, write down every single thing you can think of that will cost money each month. Do your best to estimate the cost of each of these or do some research to find the actual cost in your area. Here are some examples for you to consider. Office, property, mortgage or rent. Property maintenance. State and federal taxes. Bank loans. Employee one salary, employee two salary, etc. Professional services. Electricity bill. Water bill. Phone bill. Internet bill. Waste bill, shipping and postage costs, computers and licenses, insurance and legal costs, advertising and marketing costs, cost of goods or products, office supplies, security, travel and entertainment expenses, vehicle and mileage expenses, also, for a startup, you will have to capture and budget for some of the one-time expenses in the first month. Examples of those are office build-out or remodel, furniture and electronics, equipment costs, shelving and storage, signage and stationery, graphic design for logo, website development, uniforms for employees, business registration fees, 
and initial inventory for sales. Calculate monthly sales revenue. Now that all costs have been captured, move on to the right side of your page and calculate the revenue that will be generated by the business. If your business is based on hired services, you can use the hourly rate of each employee to calculate potential revenue. Use your estimated target revenue from the initial evaluation exercises we performed earlier. You've already captured the cost of your products in the left column, so on the right side, you should only capture the total sales received from these products. Here's an example of how to calculate the revenue from a service employee, such as a mechanic. Your customer is charged $80 an hour to pay for the mechanic's labor at 40 hours per week times an average of 4.35 weeks per month. The calculation of monthly revenue for one mechanic is revenue equals $80 times 40 hours times 4.35 weeks per month. Therefore, revenue equals $13,920 per month. To calculate your sales revenue on products, simply estimate the quantity of each item that you hope to sell multiplied by the price for each item. Here's an example. Revenue equals 100 items sold at $46 each. Revenue then equals $4,600 per month. Calculate monthly profit. Now that you have a list of monthly expenses on your left column and a monthly revenue total on your right column, you can calculate your monthly profit. Simply subtract the expenses from the revenue. The formula is profit equals revenue minus expenses. If the profit is a positive value, congrats. This means you can actually earn money with this business model. If the profit comes out as a negative value, that means you are losing money each month. Something needs to be adjusted to resolve this. You will need to either figure out how to reduce the cost somehow or increase the sales. A better idea would be to do both. Look at the value of your profit. Is it enough to warrant going forward? Does it leave you enough to invest back into your company each month in order for it to grow? Risk analysis. Although you may have successfully put together a business plan that looks promising on paper, you still need to consider some of the other variables that could affect your business. This risk analysis thought process can help you future-proof your business idea. It involves thinking of all the ways that external and internal factors could hurt your business. What are the risks of the business idea that you're considering? Make a list of the potential risks that you can identify. Then, make a list of the actions or processes that could reduce or mitigate those risks. This is a simple risk analysis, but it is important to perform. It is better to be prepared than to be surprised. Some risks could be related to the business being seasonal or affected by weather conditions. Another major risk could be that of becoming obsolete due to improving technology. Your business idea may be in jeopardy if it is just based on the latest fad or trend, which could affect its longevity. Is this idea sustainable over time? Looking back at the history of economic downturns, have businesses like yours survived through depressions? Some business models even thrive in the face of chaos or destruction. It's a good exercise to think about the what-ifs and plan accordingly. How saturated is the market that you are trying to enter? Does your business idea face stiff competition with numerous other businesses offering the same products or services? 
Is this niche growing or declining? Are there legal risks related to your industry or product? If so, even a company that earns a healthy profit can be wiped out by a single large lawsuit or by criminal activity. Do you feel this risk is even worth taking? Does your product infringe on any existing patented products? This should be a non-starter if you find that is the case. You may need to hire a patent attorney to do a search. It is better to pay those fees up front rather than to invest thousands of dollars and several months to discover that your product will get you sued by another company which holds that patent. What about risks related to your location? Both brick and mortar businesses and digital businesses have location risks. Did you pick a suitable place to set up shop that will attract your ideal customers? Is there a high crime rate that could result in unexpected theft or vandalism to your property? Did you pick a location that allows you the potential to expand the size of your company if it takes off? If your business is online, does your website hosting service do proper data backup so that you do not run the risk of losing your entire website and all of your product and customer data? Does the website host have a stellar service record with minimal downtime history? If their servers go down, so does your sales revenue. Do they have the latest in website security methods to ensure that hackers do not delete or alter your website? Does your website host have the capacity to quickly upgrade your server when needed should your business website grow higher in traffic and site visits? There are many variables to consider, but do what you can to plan how to mitigate or reduce these risks. Sometimes this simply requires more funding or more resources. Ask any business owner. We don't like surprises. Purpose. Almost all businesses are started with a purpose in mind. Be sure to define the purpose of your business. This is usually a financial goal as discussed earlier in this chapter or something that involves building your legacy. Are you simply enhancing your monthly income to supplement your normal job or are you working towards this side hustle to transition it to become a full-time business at some point? Are you building a company to build the valuation extremely high in hopes of selling it for a windfall of cash later on? The purpose should be defined up front so that you do not waste precious time headed down the wrong financial path. Each of these goals will typically require different levels of financial and time commitment. Scalability is a very important subject to consider. Does your business idea scale to reach the financial goals you have set? If you want to build a company with a multi-million dollar exit plan upon selling it, you have to plan for this. The strategies are much different for someone doing a side hustle as a hobby versus someone with a larger financial goal in mind. In our digital age, I find that online businesses offer the greatest potential for scalability. This is due to a few factors that should be considered if an exit plan to retirement is on your wants list. Online businesses open up your potential customer base to the entire world, instead of you having to rely on just customers inside your immediate zip code. That is the definition of scalability. Also, if you're selling digital files as products, such as eBooks, audiobooks, videos, online training or services, or subscription or online club memberships, software, or apps, these add another potential layer of extreme scalability. This is because those products only require upfront developmental costs and then they can be mass produced by essentially copy-paste clicks of a mouse. The development cost of creating these digital products approaches zero as you sell more of them. 
With physical products, manufacturing costs never approach zero. Physical products also have to be shipped, which adds transportation costs. Digital products can also be sent over the internet for free. Digital products also please the impulse buyers who get access to the product immediately upon paying. Businesses based on in-person services are the most difficult to scale as your team has to be present to perform tasks for customers. These scale in a more costly manner, such as through franchising or building of multiple locations. Digital is just much easier to scale and at a much faster pace. Online businesses have created more young millionaires in this world than any other type of business model. The Exit Plan Do you want to know the method to become a millionaire entrepreneur? The answer is very simple, but the effort is not. Here's my very simple answer. Create a systemized company that has a unique product or service and an established brand. This company needs an annual profit of at least $200,000 and a history of revenue stability or growth. That's it. Does that sound simple to you? Well, there are also some requirements that go along with this plan. Your unique service cannot be based on you or any other key employee. You obviously cannot sell yourself with the company. This is where most entrepreneurs fail in terms of long-term vision. They fall into the self-employment trap and just create themselves an occupation instead of a company. The company needs to be set up as a system with defined processes and products that will enable it to be managed by whomever buys your company. If you possess some unique talent or skill, you simply need to create a process to train others to do what you do. This repeatable process is what holds value to a potential buyer of your company. Companies that do not offer unique products or services may have a harder time selling at higher values. If your business just resells items from other manufacturers, then the argument could be that your products are not unique unless you have the exclusive rights to those products. Your business model then becomes less interesting to buyers if they can just create their own business and sell the exact same products themselves. You will need to have a firm grasp on this market share for generic services have long-term contracts established, and have a backlog of work to sway buyers in your direction. They will basically be buying your contracts and backlog of work. Buyers are interested in buying the future of your company, not your past. They want to ensure that there is a constant stream of revenue inbound to be interested in purchasing your company. If your brand name is valuable due to established reputation, market share, and partnerships in the industry, then brand name can certainly hold extreme value on its own. This is why we say brand matters. Brand is the most important aspect to consider when valuation of a business happens. If your company is recognizable and popular, it is worth more to a buyer. Valuation of your company can be handled several different ways depending on your business type. The most general valuation, as typically seen on the TV show Shark Tank, is based on the profits of your company. Technically, it is based on the acronym EBIT, E-B-I-T, which stands for Earnings Before Interest and Taxes. For larger corporations, this acronym expands to E-B-I-T-D-A, which includes depreciation and amortization at the end. All of this is just a fancy acronym for saying net profit. The simplest valuation of a company is found by multiplying your annual net profit with a factor between three to five. 
The more unique your brand or product is, the closer that factor approaches the five. This essentially means that your company is worth between three to five years of your net profit. In rare circumstances, that factor may even reach much higher than five if your brand or products have no real market competition. This three to five year EBIT valuation presents a potential buyer with the opportunity to pay off their investment in three to five years. To summarize, if your company profits $200,000 per year, it could likely sell for $1 million if the company is unique enough. Now, before you start daydreaming, understand that not every business gets a valuation like this. If your product or service isn't unique, or you have a weak branding, or your business has very easy barriers of entry for starting similar businesses, it could be worth much less, even if you're still profiting the same $200,000 per year. A possible example of a bad case would be a local non-franchised auto mechanic shop. Why would someone buy your shop from you if they could literally build a shop next door to yours, buy similar equipment, and even hire away your employees? In cases like this, the valuation of your business relies mostly on your assets owned minus your liabilities, which are debts, plus your parts inventory at wholesale market cost. You would essentially be selling your lifts, tools, inventory, and other assets at their current depreciated market prices. Hopefully you also own the business property and saw an increase in value over the years. This stresses the importance of establishing a stellar, recognizable brand name and producing some unique products or services. But don't count yourself out just yet. You can still become a millionaire with any business model as long as your profits and savings add up over enough years to total $1 million. Build your revenue and increase your profits. There are many ways to get to the same goal. Not everyone wants an exit plan. Some wish to pass their company down to future generations of their family. Again, just set your own goals for the business and tackle them in the best manner possible. This is just a high-level understanding of corporate valuation to give you a general idea of how it works. You can search and find endless articles and books on this subject which go into greater depth. If you're ever approached to sell your business, it would be advisable to hire a professional business appraiser in order to get an estimated value of your company. You'll also want to hire a business broker to represent your company during the sale activities. Be sure to find a broker that has your best interests in mind and knows your industry. Summary, Chapter 3 Most failed businesses tend to be started for the wrong purpose. Find something that you are at least interested in doing or selling. Money follows passion. Ideas are the easy part. Every single day, thousands of people die with great ideas that never got shared with the world. Those who aren't fluent in discussing business terminology could get taken advantage of by those who are. Learn the business language. The best side hustles are based on skills, knowledge, or resources that you already have available. Start with the end in mind. Set specific financial goals and timelines. Work backwards from these goals to define the steps necessary to achieve them. Digital products that can be transferred as a file will always have the highest potential for scalability. Trading your own hours for money will have the least potential for scalability. All companies should at least consider their exit plan from the beginning. You never know when you're going to be forced to sell your company due to factors beyond your control. 
Having a plan will direct many key decisions during the lifetime of the business. Recommended Reading Start With Why by Simon Sinek Built to Sell by John Warlow Blue Ocean Strategy by Chan Kim Good to Great by Jim Collins The E-Myth Revisited by Michael Gerber Quote, All of your ideas may be solid or even good, but you have to actually execute on them for them to matter. Gary Vaynerchuk, entrepreneur and best-selling author. So that's a wrap on the ideas chapter, and here's some extra commentary. Hopefully it will bring the millionaire thinking mindset over some of the ideas that you may be currently thinking. So a lot of times businesses are basically just solving annoyances or problems that we face every day in the world. If there's something that you interact with every single day or you see a need for, perhaps that's your business idea. Because here's the thing, guys, if you can solve bigger problems for a a lot more people, the potential to make an income is huge because of the scalability of that idea. So solve big problems that really help as many people as possible. It's a good way to think about things. Kind of really gives you a good quick check as well. If you're seeing something out there that's kind of a problem and you look at it, you can really start assessing, is this thing really valuable? Am I going to be able to make any kind of income with this or would it just be a huge waste of time and expense to do something to solve that problem, which has a very limited market? Maybe nobody's really interested in doing that or paying to have that problem solved. Another thing to think about is don't think that you have to be overly creative. We're not really writing this book for inventors per se. It's not important that you invent something new. It's let's face it. Most of the companies that already exist out there were just doing something better, faster, cheaper, higher quality or whatever from existing businesses. So think about what businesses are currently out there that maybe you're not delivering the value or the quality or the price structure that you think is missing in the market. Perhaps that's the idea that you need. Don't, so don't get hung up on trying to reinvent the wheel. Think about how you can make that wheel better. Another thing that a lot of people limit themselves or limit their potential company with is their ego. Most people perceive as a CEO or a founder that they're this person that's standing at the top of a mountain. And I want you to picture this. Imagine a mountain. CEO standing up at the top with his arms stretched up like he's a champion, like Rocky, and he's leading, he's standing on top of the mountain, basically. That's the idea how most people think about when they start a business, when they haven't got the experience behind it. I want to give you guys a different perspective. The mountain may represent your employees, your company, the staff, everything down to the bottom, the base of the mountain. But what happens is that most companies become limited in size or growth or scalability Because the founder made themselves the biggest part of the top of the mountain. So that if you go into a business with that mindset, thinking that you're going to be on top of this thing and that you're the king of this mountain, then the company can really never get any bigger than you. And let's be honest, that's just not going to scale, guys. You got to think of something that's going to be much bigger than yourself. You got to put aside your ego sometimes to really think about businesses that can become huge, epic, colossal businesses are much bigger than the founders that created them. So I want you to change that perception of standing on top of a mountain to really being standing on the ground with your arms raised up still, but holding an upside down mountain, because that's where you're going to start to see the benefits 
where companies can scale to massive sizes when they start to build a community around these businesses and brands of loyal supporters and fans. Those of you that know my past, I've built some large communities. The first one, I, it grew into over 300,000 registered members. That's a huge community. That's bigger than most medium-sized cities. We had over 100,000 people per day visit our website. Different people, 100,000 per day. That is a much bigger thing than me. Tony Watley is one man. There's no way that I could be standing on top of that mountain. I stood on the bottom and supported that community. So I need you to start thinking of a shift to what brands can you build? What products can you build? They're going to have a huge following. Think about examples like Harley Davidson. There's literally thousands of people that walk around on this planet with a tattoo of the Harley Davidson logo on their body. That is a huge community. People buy those products because they want to be a part of this community, this following, this group of people with like-minded abilities and, and hobbies and interests. That's, that's huge because even as leaders ourselves, those of you that are even listening, we're, we're, a lot of us are leaders and we still like being parts of other communities. Just that's how human nature is. We're wired. We're a pack animal. We like to be a part of something bigger than us. So why don't you create that thing that is bigger than you to attract the right community, the right tribe into your brand? That is going to give you the biggest possible scale factor of anything that you can create. So I need you to not be so focused on which invention or hand-built goods or local zip code based services or things like that. Those don't scale as well because they're limited by manpower. They're limited by the reach of your distance. If you can build something that's online community based or has a huge fan base or a product that millions of people love, guess what? You're going to earn millions of dollars in doing so. So you got to think really big. Think about building something that is much bigger than yourself. Don't use that as a limiting factor and don't stand on top of that mountain. Stand on the bottom and support that upside down mountain and support that community. Make that community grow and it will take care of you. Near the end of this chapter, we talked about exit plans and exit strategies and valuations of companies. It's important to really get to thinking about this as well. Here's the reality. Reading on a few different blogs and business sites, it seems like there's only about 1% of companies that actually get sold. Now you may be thinking 1%, that's so 99% of companies you know, aren't for sale. No, there's, there's a lot of companies that go up for sale, but only 1% gets sold. And the importance of that statement is that it means that 99% of companies out there are not valuable to a buyer. So if you know someone that's actually sold a company, they're in that one percentile and it's a good thing to know. But understand that the reason that these companies aren't worth anything to a buyer is because they didn't do the things I mentioned in the chapter. They didn't build the processes or systems. A lot of times these small businesses are built around the owner himself or herself. They basically created themselves a job or occupation. And obviously you can't sell that. So you got to think about what is the interesting part to a buyer? If I was selling a company, what is it going to interest you as a buyer? Well, you want to know if the company works without the owner being there. You want to know that the processes and systems you created are unique and that can be scaled and taught to other people. So you could build this company by hiring more people to train you on these processes and systems. And you want to be able to have this brand that's recognizable in the market so you can attain that market share right on the purchase. So 
I can tell you business buyers are not really interested in buying a business that hasn't proven itself in the market because that's the whole reason to buy a business is, is to be able to get a shortcut and buy somebody else's momentum versus trying to just start yourself your own business because let's face it, the people who can afford to buy companies, they also have the same amount of money to start companies. They have a lot more money to start companies. So think about that. What would you attract a buyer with with your company? And if you are missing some of those things and gaps in your business right now, then maybe you need to start focusing on that if you have a plan on evacuating or selling that company in the next few years. And I'll give you a hint on me selling a company myself. They usually go back about three years worth of your financial records. So they want to see the history of your transactions, all your revenues, profits, everything about basically you got to open the hood and show them everything that went on financially and operationally within your business for usually the last three years. And they use that as a gauge to see how well your company has been running or if it's trending upwards or if it's trending downwards. These are all things that are important to determine the valuation for your company when they make an offer to you. And I'll tell you that there's a lot of small business owners that are really guilty of this one thing that's killing them on their valuation. A lot of times they don't report all their income. They have discretionary income or they have basically partner distributions, things like this to really keep things off the books. And they're trying to do that by, you know, I hate to say it, but there are a lot of people out there trying to avoid paying the income tax on that. Now, here's why I want to understand why this is killing you if you want to be able to sell your company. So let's say you own this business and you're not reporting all of your income and you're doing that to try to avoid a 30% income tax essentially on your own income. Well, the problem with doing that is that now when you go time to sell your company, you're basically not, they're not going to see all the profit that's really coming in because you didn't report that accurately on your taxes. That's against the law, by the way. And what's going to happen is they're going to set the valuation based on the profit of the company without that reported income. So you can't come back to them and three and goes, Hey guys, uh, I'm selling this company and I, I was really making this much money, but I just didn't show you like they don't care because they only care about what's reported. So what's going to happen is that that money that you were trying not to show that you paid yourself, maybe with perks or investing it in different areas and just using it as discretionary funds. If you're not reporting things properly, when they go valuating that 30% tax savings that you've been trying to hide from is going to cost you potentially hundreds of thousand dollars or millions of dollars in valuation. Because like I said, we, during the chapter, it's based on three to five years worth of your EBITDA, your net profit. So they need to see it all. So that's very important. So don't try to cut off your nose, despite your face, trying to save 30% on taxes when it could cost you millions of dollars in your corporate valuation because you didn't do things properly. Let me illustrate this example with some actual numbers so you can hear the differences, why this matters. So let's say that you were hiding $100,000 per year, trying to avoid paying roughly $30,000 in income taxes on that amount per year times the three years that they're going to use for the evaluation of your company. So three years hiding $30,000 worth of taxes, you basically avoided $90,000 in income tax. Sounds like a lot, doesn't it? But let's think about when they create valuation of your company that same $100,000 reported each year's profit times the three to five years EBITDA, three to five times multiple per year, basically equals $300,000 to $500,000. So you got all these people out there thinking small, 
trying to avoid paying $90,000 to the government and it's costing themselves three to $500,000 on the back end when they sell their company. Now, the other topic that is really important, this has to do with setting up the business model. So we talked about building the community. We talked about things that can scale. Well, the other thing that is very important to a buyer and is just something to have as a good business model would be to have a recurring revenue business model. So you want recurring revenue, and I'll get into what that means. It means that people are either doing some kind of a product that they have to replenish every so often. Maybe they're buying this product from you every week or every month or hell, hopefully every day. That would be awesome. But the good thing about recurring revenue is that once you attract that person into your customer base, it's all about just keeping them happy. And it saves you a lot of time and a lot of hassle to try to go out there and try to win new business over and over and over. So a lot of products out there, most products I would say are one time only purchases. So these companies have to spend a lot of money, a lot of resources, a lot of energy to attract a new customer and hope to get that one transaction. And then it's kind of the life of the relationship is, is gone at that point. It's basically, we made our, made our sale and you know, we're going to go find someone else. You're always on the hunt when you're, when you're a non-recurring revenue, you're always on the hunt. And some people don't like to be in that position. It's tiring. It's aggressive. You got to keep always being hungry. You know what? I like to do that kind of stuff. It's kind of fun to me, but not everyone likes to do that. So when you think about your business model, maybe there's some service, maybe there's some kind of a product that has a subscription type based. Maybe you're selling some online information or courses that roll out every few weeks or every few months. If there's a way to create something that people will give you their credit card information and they get billed at some automated period, that's an excellent recurring revenue business model. And I'll tell you, that's highly, highly attractive to a corporate buyer. So if somebody wants to buy your company and they see you have well-established recurring revenue, they're way more interested. Trust me on that. And you're going to make a lot more money if you could build something that scales out. So these are the thoughts of the mindset of a millionaire when you're starting a business. It's not reserved for corporate large companies, guys. You can do these on a small scale. Think about what business models you could do where people subscribe to your services and they continually get automated updates on those. So we're getting into the next chapter. Hope you're enjoying this extra commentary. Just wanted to deliver some excellent value. The book's been out a year. I really appreciate you spending the time with me. Chapter four, branding. Branding is arguably the most important aspect of your business. Branding is what creates emotions and thoughts within your customers when they hear or see your business name. It is critical that these feelings are positive or that they resonate with your ideal customers. Think of the numerous popular brands out there. Many of them do not even have to advertise their products or ads. They simply advertise their company name knowing that they have done an amazing job at establishing their brand. You don't see Nike advertising every type of shoe that they offer. Louis Vuitton, they don't create ads with their line of goods shown. Apple has placed full ads based on their vision and message rather than for any products. Other companies have even transformed the way people communicate to where their brand name has taken the place of an action. We've all heard phrases, Please make a Xerox of this paper or go and Google that. This is the power of having a good brand. 
Google wasn't the first search engine, but it established itself as the best. Branding, in its most simple definition, is what people say or think about you when you're not around. This even applies to you personally, as we each have our own personal brand identity. When you approach branding like this, it makes it easier to think about how to manage your company. Do you have a clear mission that gets communicated and reaches your audience? Do you show consistency in your behaviors and actions? Are you solving people's problems with your products or service? Will your customers refer you to their friends? Have you done enough marketing to be known? These are the questions that all relate to branding. Creating a business name. One of the more popular questions I receive from aspiring entrepreneurs is how to come up with a business name. I'll share my method and give you some general rules to ensure you pick an excellent business name. Get it right the first time as it is difficult to rebrand and have to start all over again later. Do some brainstorming. Write down several words that you feel represent your product, service, or mission. Write down as many as possible, whatever comes to mind. Don't be afraid to be creative. You may even try combining two words to create something new. Shorter, easier to spell words are the best. You may even use online resources like thesaurus.com to find synonyms, which are words with similar meanings. Also, think of all the businesses out there that use made-up words. Google, Waze, eBay, YouTube, and Facebook are all made-up words that didn't previously exist. With powerful branding, everyone knows them now. It's also important to think about your business name as your potential website address. Ideally, you'll want a website address as short as character length as possible, easy for people to remember, and something that could easily be spelled if you verbally said the website name to someone. If you can't come up with a business name that short, see if the initials of the words can form an acronym that will work. Conversely, be sure that if your business name is more than a few words, that the initials aren't potentially offending. Applied Surface Specialty sounds like a great name until you realize the acronym for it is ASS. Also, if people can't remember your business name or website address, they won't try searching for it either. Rid yourself of fences. I typically suggest that you avoid using regional specific business names. While that worked well in the past, it doesn't serve the digital age well. In fact, having a regional name could limit your customer reach outside of the region of your name. For example, Houston Tires, Nashville Shoes, or Ohio Electronics could create the perception that you only cater to a local market. If you want customers outside of your city and state, then avoid using those words in your business name. If you have dreams of franchising your business idea across the country, then certainly avoid regional naming. By doing this, you will avoid limiting the potential future growth due to regional bias. If you wish to serve the digital world, create a business name that is universal rather than regional. Website Address Validation Now that you've come up with a few ideas for business names, you must check for their availability on a domain register website. This is a fancy label for a company that will sell you the ownership rights to a custom website address, also known as the domain name. I prefer Namecheap.com to purchase and host my website domain names. Visit their front page and you can search available website names for free. 
Type your business name idea into the search domain text box to see if someone already has that website address or if you can purchase it. Try to avoid using any hyphens or underscores in any website address. For example, iconicservices.com is better than iconic-services.com because you can't verbalize a hyphen when speaking to someone. It also sounds dumb when you try to say it. My website is iconic-services.com. Also, you only want domain names that end with .com or .net. None of the other silly ones. These two are perceived to be more professional, legitimate websites. If available, buy both the .com and the .net variations of your name to keep someone else from cloning your website. You can make both addresses redirect to your business page later. If your business name isn't available, see if the acronym initials are available. If the website isn't available, I'd say to move on and try some other business names. This is very important. Those made up words that we were mentioned earlier are a direct result of website branding. Those companies wanted to have a short, memorable website address. You'll find that the names that you thought were creative are already taken. This is why some companies resort to making up words. Don't be afraid to bounce your business name ideas off of your close network. Tell them your mission for the business and ask their opinions on the names you have selected. You may get some interesting feedback or perceptions that you didn't first consider. You may also try Google searching to see if other companies already share that same business name. This could become an issue, especially if a business exists within your same state. Since we register our businesses by state, they only allow one business per state to have a registered name. You may have to rearrange words, add words, subtract words, or to make your business name more unique. Or make up a new word. Just secure the domain name as soon as possible. We'll get into developing a website later on in this book. You really just need to purchase the domain name for now to prevent someone else from taking it. Summary, Chapter 4 Branding is arguably the most important aspect of your business. Branding is what creates emotions and thoughts within your customers when they hear or see your business name. Branding, in its most simple definition, is what people say or think about you when you are not around. Branding even applies to you personally as we each have our own personal brand identity. Do your actions represent you well? Pick a website address that is short, easy to spell, and memorable. Avoid using a regional word in your company name as it could limit your expansion outside of that region. If people can't remember your business name or your website address, they won't try searching for it either. Recommended reading. Build a story brand by Donald Miller. Purple Cow by Seth Godin. Quote, Obscurity is the single biggest killer to a business or entrepreneur. Grant Cardone, entrepreneur and best-selling author. Extra content. Branding is one of my most favorite subjects, and I just wanted to point out something that we didn't really cover on this chapter in the book, but let's describe the difference between a company brand and your personal brand. Both are very important, especially nowadays on the entrepreneurs being on social media and such, that you have to invest a lot of effort into your personal brand, especially if you're building a startup, if you're going to use social media to do this. 
What most people don't understand is that everybody has a personal brand. Every single one of you. Most people think that it's only reserved for influencers and people and celebrities and things like that, but it's not true. The thing is, is that whatever you do, the things that you're working on, the things that you say, the things that you, uh, how you appear, these are all things that combine to create your personal brand. And you basically will have an active role in creating your personal brand or the world will create it for you. And I don't know about you, but I think you should really take a more active approach to creating your personal brand. So are the things that you're saying or sharing or doing in the public eye resonating with your business brand? It's very important because in social media nowadays, people love to do business with who they like, they know, and they trust. And there's ways to create that within your personal brand. So don't think that you just can create a company logo and hide behind the logo especially unless you're not going to spend money to create more ads. We'll cover more of that in the marketing and the social media aspects and the marketing chapter of this book. But it's important to understand that your personal brand does matter. And if you're not happy with the personal brand that you feel that you're putting out right now, it's all your decision, guys. You can change that, whatever you want to do. You can do that if you decide that you need to become more fit to represent some kind of a fitness or health or wellness brand. That's your choice. You can go get more fit, start to represent the brand a little bit better because people want to be able to trust that you use the products or believe in the things and the services and the products that you preach and that you sell. It's very important nowadays. Transparency is big. People love to know that the founder of a company actually is a supporter of the product or service that they're trying to sell to them. It only makes sense, common sense, really. Let's talk about your value proposition and your mission statement. Those are also keys to having a very strong brand. Now, you may have heard the phrase mission statement in the past, but you may not know exactly what that means. Every company should have a mission statement and a set of core values listed. Let's start with the mission statement. The mission statement is really the directive or the mission of your company. What is it that you're promising to deliver to your customers? Are you telling them that you're going to be the premium high price leader or the low price value leader? Or maybe you're trying to pitch that you're innovative or maybe you're trying to pitch that you're the historic choice that's been consistent over time. There's a lot of different things that create your value proposition to your customer and you need to be able to have that mission statement that's really going to resonate with your target audience and customers. So think really hard about your mission statement. It doesn't have to be that long. Usually it's two or three sentences at the most, and it really helps to outline your direction for this brand, what it's going to provide to the world, and is kind of gives your employees or your future employees the idea of where they're headed on this ship. Your core values are usually five to 10 one sentence statements that really drive the day-to-day -day operation of your business. It's really about the mindset and the culture that you're creating within your brand. And it's very important to create this early on so that you yourself as a founder will have a very good understanding of what things are dictating the course of decisions in your day-to-day -day activities. So whenever you're feeling unmotivated or you know not willing to do something or you're feeling some resistance, it is always good to pull out your core values review them and see if you are really going against any of those with some of the decisions you're making because your core values will help set the direction They really start to aim towards the mission statement that you created and they support all the actions and decisions going on. So let me give you an idea 
for my core values for 365 driven, here are my core values. I'll read them one by one. Bring the positive to this world. Constructive consistency always wins. Give more often than you ask. Maintain respect with every interaction. Do what is right, not what is easy. Good isn't good enough when better is possible. Take accountability for your action and inaction. Strive to become a better version of yourself. Have fun, make memories, and find success. So those are the core values that I've created for 365 Driven, which is my umbrella corporation, which captures all the books that I write, the podcasts that I host, and all the future business development and personal development activities and monetized paths that I'm creating within this brand. Since I mentioned umbrella corporations, that's also something to consider when you're coming up with your business name. Think about trying to create names that are not super specific about what your product or service is. It also allows you the open door to be able to take that company or that brand into different areas that may not have aligned with a business title that is too small or too focused on the name itself. For example, I mentioned earlier as an example of Houston Tires. Let's say that you name your, your brand Houston Tires and it starts to grow and you want to sell cars later on. So now you're going to have to go create another business and it doesn't make sense to sell cars under a company named Houston Tires. So think about this. If you're going to build a brand, maybe you create something that's kind of got a vague overarching type name that allows you to expand and go where the market determines that they want you later on. So if I were to call that same brand performance group, then maybe I could sell tires, I could sell wheels, I could sell cars, I could have a racetrack, what all, all these different things that you can fit under this name that's vague. Think about sometimes the business name needs to be strong enough, vague enough to be able to contain an umbrella or a portfolio of future businesses that you would like to create. It's a good idea to capture that branding now and allow that to expand organically as you add more businesses, products, and services to the brand. Another thing that really aligns with mission statement is tagline. Having a tagline, it's usually just one sentence. A tagline is simple. It is one sentence that grabs the audience's attention and articulates exactly what your profession is in a simple sentence. So if you were to visit my website, 365 Driven, the first thing you would see when you land on that page at the time of this recording is the statement that says, we build entrepreneurs. That's a tagline. That's a very simple sentence that if you were to be able to tell somebody that in person or they see that right when they land on your webpage, they know exactly what you do. That's the tagline. Come up with one. And that way it gives you something also to end some of your posts with or end some of your videos with. So you can always just mention your company name and the tagline at the end and people will start to understand that. And that verbal cue, that tagline also becomes part of your brand. A lot of famous taglines out there. I'm sure you know several of them in your mind. We remember the taglines many times more than the brand name itself. So always good to have one. Now on to the next chapters. Chapter five, money. I hope that you didn't skip ahead to this chapter thinking that I somehow hid the secret to success within it. That is not what this chapter is about. 
but your grasp of the knowledge contained within this chapter will determine if your company succeeds or fails. Business finance is one giant and complex subject, a topic that could easily cover a span of numerous books. I'd encourage you to dig deeper into this topic later, but that isn't the focus of this particular book. I'll just provide some high-level thoughts to consider when starting and operating a business. I always suggest finding a good certified public accountant, CPA, to advise you to help manage your business financials. The cost of a CPA is minor compared to the business costs at risk. Ask your friends for CPA references. This topic is too important to cut corners on. Funding. Many people stall their idea of starting a business by adopting the excuse of not having enough money to start. Rather than use this situation as a roadblock that prevents you from traveling down the road towards your dreams, let's try to reframe the idea of money, or rather, the lack of money. Money is simply a score. It is a score resulting from the balance of your positive versus negative execution. This is the mindset that successful people carry. And with any game that keeps score, you must develop a strategy or plays to bring you to the highest potential for scoring. Money is no different and acquiring more of it is just a game. Lucky for us humans, our brains are wired to solve puzzles and games. There is truly no dead-end excuse when we are discussing money. We simply have to be creative, resourceful, and put effort into making more money. That is why you picked up this book, correct? How many times has someone told you no or told you something was impossible? That is when you went and figured out how to do it anyways. That is exactly how you will need to tackle the money issue if you think startup funds are lacking. Bootstrap it. The term bootstrap is a funny one. It originates back to a saying from the early 19th century in the USA. It originally meant doing something impossible to get yourself over a fence by tugging upwards on your own bootstraps. The novelty of that statement still applies to self-funding your business. If possible, it's always better to fund your own business 100% on your own. This means you will not have any loans to repay, which could eat into your monthly profits. It also means that you will not have any partners to split your profits with. Thinking further down the road, it could mean you won't have to split that millions received on an exit plan. I find that too many people partner up unnecessarily. They seem to do this in order to share some of the financial risk or feel like they aren't alone in the effort. It tends to be more of the latter, a mental security blanket, but the financial impact is huge. If you're going to start your business by cutting your pie into many other pieces, then hopefully all of your partners have decided that the target revenue will be able to provide the desired lifestyle for each of you. You don't always need partners. You can hire consultants and employees to handle the tasks that you aren't good at. Fund the business yourself and you will be able to receive all the rewards yourself. How do you bootstrap fund your own business? By figuring out how to earn and save more money. There are numerous ways you can do this. For example, sell the stuff you don't need. Work extra hours at your current job if available. Pick up a second or third part-time job. Reduce your monthly bills and expenses to save more. Downsize your current lifestyle. Staircase businesses. 
Sometimes people are only focused on starting their perfect dream business. Sometimes that dream business isn't financially realistic at this time. So this is when you should begin thinking of starting smaller with what I call staircase businesses. Think of businesses that you can start immediately based on your current skills, talents, knowledge, or resources. These businesses can provide extra income that could be put toward your dream business. Your dream business could simply be a few staircase businesses away from happening. If you want to start that $10 million dream business, maybe you need to build up a few $1 million companies first to create that investment size. In baseball, we don't always swing for the home run at each bat. Sometimes we have to think in terms of strategy and hit an infield single or a bunt. Don't rule out starting small for now to work towards the large later. Sitting around and claiming you can't start because you can't afford your dream business is unproductive. Complaining doesn't move you closer to your goal. Figure out another path that does. Get a loan. While it has been increasingly difficult to get small business loans in recent years, there are still banks out there that are willing to fund well-planned businesses. You may even qualify for a government-backed SBA loan, which is an acronym for Small Business Association. You can find details about these loans on the federal website www.sba.gov. Do some searching and you'll find various ways to get loans if your credit is good and your business plan is solid. Another popular way for people to fund their companies is to take out a home equity loan. If you have positive equity in your mortgage, you can borrow up to 80% of that equity value. Another form of loan is more readily available and it lives in your wallet. Credit cards. Thousands of successful small businesses have been started up working off of credit cards. But keep in mind that these loans also have very high interest, especially if you do not pay off the balance each month. You may continually have to flip your balance from one card to another in order to take advantage of introductory periods with reduced interest rates. This can be a hassle and you'll need to manage it, but the opportunity exists. What about a personal loan from family or friends? Got any stragglers out there that still owe you money? It is well past time you collect on that nonsense. If your dream is important to you, find the courage to ask. You may be surprised at who offers to help. Crowdfunding. This has recently become a more popular way of raising capital for startups and inventions. You essentially have to put together a good business plan and pitch it online at one of the various crowdfunding websites. If your story and product are compelling and interesting enough, you may have hundreds or thousands of people donate to be part of your journey. The added benefit of this method is that you also gain a lot of cheerleaders who have a vested interest in seeing your business succeed. They almost become a social media marketing team for you as they share your idea with their own networks. There are several websites for this, such as kickstarter.com, gofundme.com, and indiegogo.com, each of which has helped create some amazing brands. Go study how other brands have pitched their companies and take notes from the popular examples. Banking. It is important to create an entirely new bank account to handle your business. This will make it much easier for you to monitor and track expenses and income received from that business. This is really important when it comes to tax time. 
It would be utter chaos to have to dig back through your own personal banking statements and comb out all of the business-related expenses and income. Get yourself a business checking account and a debit credit card, as well as business checks. Ideally, you'll want this account to be created under your business name. This could be as a DBA, an LLC, an S-Corp, however you end up registering your business. We'll discuss the differences of those later. If you do not register the account using the company name, you will have to use your own social security number to register it. When you register an account using a company, you use the company EIN number instead. This stands for Employer Identification Number, and every registered company receives their own unique number. Think of it as the federal social security number for your company. You will also file your business taxes with the EIN number. Get paid. The objective of a business is to get paid, right? That means you will need to establish at least one account to accept payments from customers. There are a few online banking accounts that allow this. Your business checking account may even have a service that provides this. If not, you'll need to set up another account with another company that handles payments. This way you'll be able to receive payments from credit cards, wire transfers, and even online checks. One thing to understand is that these payment accounts all earn money from transaction fees. Generally, they'll want 2-3% to of every transaction that passes through them. This is what most major credit cards charge in order for you to be able to accept credit cards as payment. You cannot avoid this, but there are ways to help combat this percentage. You might consider using a cashback type rewards program card to make business purchases or pay business bills. That typically earns you back at least 1-2% credit on the purchases you make for your business. I've used PayPal.com for over 18 years now to process my credit card payments. I find it very simple to use and it's easy for my customers to use. PayPal basically uses your email address as your bank account number. This means anyone with an email address essentially has a possible bank account number with PayPal. I've literally moved multiple millions of dollars through PayPal without a hassle. I just transfer any funds received into my PayPal account over to my bank checking account each week. This is all done online very easily. I also like that I can download all of my sales and purchase history reports from them to use for filing quarterly taxes. There are several online banking companies that offer similar services. You just need to browse them to find out which one works for you. Popular choices include Stripe, Google Wallet, and several others. Most even have cell phone apps that allow you to receive payments in person by typing the credit card digits. Some may even have an attachment that plugs into your cell phone to swipe credit cards. Pay attention to the fees that each company charges for the type of transactions that you plan on doing the most. Always read the fine print. You may find that one brand of payment service is better for you when compared to the others. Cash flow. Money is the lifeblood of your business. Think of this in a literal sense as money works about the same way as blood in your body. You have to have enough blood flowing through your body to transport oxygen to all of its areas. Your business will also require enough money to operate properly in all of its areas. It really depends on your business model as some require more money than others to operate. This is the importance of cash flow. Mismanaged businesses often starve themselves to death due to cash flow by not understanding how this process works. 
You will need money to purchase inventory products or raw goods for manufacturing. You will need money to pay employees and hire external services. With most businesses, you can't sell what you don't have. Your goal here is to always remain cash positive, which means you have enough money to spend to operate the business while you wait on customers to buy something from you. Being cash negative means you do not have enough money and is hurting your day-to-day -day operations, slowing progress, and limiting your potential. You will have to calculate how much money your company requires to keep operating properly. Always carry extra in the account. You never know when there will be a downturn in your business. What if a product shipment arrives late and you don't get paid when you thought you would? You never know when you will have a customer that refuses to pay you or is very slow to pay you back. If you don't have enough money, a simple incident could put you out of business. Most cash flow bankruptcies often happen like a series of dominoes falling down and they are triggered by an initial incident. You will go out of business when you owe more than you can pay. When working with customers on a longer contract basis or when performing a longer period of service for them, be sure to structure the payments to you so that you remain cash positive at all phases of the project. We call these milestone payments. The multiple milestone payments are percentages of the total contract value and they are paid to you as you complete each major task. An example for a home remodel service would be to charge the customer for parts and then get the parts ordered. Then charges would occur again after each critical task of labor has been performed. Bathroom complete, charge for that. Kitchen complete, charge for that. This keeps your financial risk low should any disagreement arise during the course of the project. Always strive to be cash positive on deals when possible. This will give you a little leverage if the deal goes sour. At the very least, you aim to be cash neutral this means that both the buyer and the seller share the same financial risk in the transaction. If you define milestone payments properly, this can be achieved. Cash neutral means the customer isn't overpaying at any time and you aren't underpaid at any time. Always get these long-term agreements in writing. As any lawyer will tell you, if it isn't in writing, it doesn't exist. Too many small businesses have been shut down by being too trusting, just like too many customers have been scammed for also being too trusting. Protect yourself. It is your duty as a business owner. Don't be willing to risk not getting paid if you know it could kill your company. Return on investment, otherwise known as ROI. If you've ever heard the phrase, it takes money to make money, then you've been introduced to ROI. You've likely heard the term ROI if you work within any corporate setting. Get used to this acronym when you run a business. ROI is linked to cash flow, and once you think in this mindset, you will begin to scrutinize every single expense that occurs within your company. This has nothing to do with saving money. So many business owners think too small, and they're always trying to save a buck. Money is meant to be invested to create growth. It isn't meant to be saved away in some low-interest bank account. Why earn 3% in a savings account when that same money could earn you much more if you invested it properly into your company? Think in terms of return on investment. For every dollar spent, what is the financial return? If you handed me $100 and I gave you back $200, that would be an excellent return. Who wouldn't do that? 
If you could spend $10,000 on advertising and receive $20,000 in profit from the sales generated by the ad, wouldn't that $10,000 be worth spending? Absolutely. It doubled your money. This is the proper mindset for a business owner. Do not be afraid to spend what it takes to earn or grow more. Monitor every expense you pay for and understand what the financial benefit of that expense is. This mindset will also keep you from spending money on stupid stuff that adds no value or profit to your company. It will make you identify areas of your company where there is more profit and where you should begin to spend any extra dollars in that area instead. You can apply ROI to anything in any company. Examples like the building location and cost, the marketing, employee salaries, external services, anything that has a cost. Do the costs justify themselves with a financial return? If so, you're on a good path. Delete or reduce anything that costs you more than the value it brings in or find better ROI alternatives. Taxes. Now that you've hopefully made all this money, you can count on the state and federal government to want their share of it. This process has gotten much easier in the last few years as most tax entities have moved to online reporting and payments. State taxes will vary within each state. Some require quarterly sales tax filings and some have annual filings. You will need to know your sales tax laws for the state you operate in. At the time of this writing, you will only have to collect state sales tax from customers who purchase from within the same state as your business. If you own businesses in multiple states, you will also have to collect sales tax from customers in each of those states. Be sure to put this tax money aside and keep track of how much within your bank account will go towards state taxes. You will have to pay this amount to the state when you file each time. Also, some states have income taxes and those will be filed separately from sales taxes. Again, this reporting period and filing method will vary by state. Federal income tax is filed annually within the IRS. If your business is very complex, this could be a real chore. If it is something you are not interested in doing, there are plenty of certified public accountants out there who are ready and willing to help. Throughout the business year, just be sure to keep all expense and business purchase receipts, transaction reports, sales reports, state taxes paid, losses, and anything related to financials. Your accountant will need all of this information at the end of the year. Get into a good habit of just saving this stuff as you go, rather than scrambling around at the end of the year to try to locate all of this stuff. There are also many choices of software and apps out there which can make this easy for you to track your financials for your business. Check out the reviews online, ask around, and select one that works best for you. Summary, Chapter 5. Your grasp of financial management will determine if your business succeeds or fails. Think of money as just a score. It is a score resulting from the balance of your positive versus negative execution. Always have a separate bank account for your business so that there is a clear split from your personal financials. Mismanaged businesses often starve themselves to death due to cash flow issues. Money is meant to be reinvested to create growth. It isn't meant to be saved away in some low interest bank savings account. Keep all business records, all of them. If there is a dollar symbol shown within a document, save a copy. Your CPA will want these to perform your tax services. 
Recommended Reading, Profit First by Mike McCallagwicks. Rich Dad's Cash Flow Quadrant by Robert Kiyosaki. Quote, it's not how much money you make, but how much money you keep and how hard it works for you and how many generations you keep it for. Robert Kiyosaki, entrepreneur and best-selling author. Bonus content. I couldn't really end the chapter on money without getting into some millionaire mindset thoughts and things that I'd like to share with the readers. And hopefully you have some takeaways from this section that's really only in the audio book. Money is a tool and it's meant to be used, not saved. This is a very hard thing for most people to understand. And you'll find that most millionaires that are out there are actually cash poor. That doesn't mean they're poor. That means they are cash poor. That means they don't sit around on piles of money, despite what some of the rap music and things like that, you see these people, you see people walking around with big fat rolls of money wrapped together with rubber bands and they're laying in beds full of money. That's just not how most millionaires really are because the smart millionaires actually understand that money is a tool and it's meant to be used to build more wealth. So money tends to be reinvested into different things, assets, maybe some things that are creating more income with itself. So money can make money, money can multiply itself, but it can't do so just sitting in a bank account. Most bank accounts, 3% interest per year is a good, good return on savings. That's pretty awful. Stock market, you can usually make eight to 10% on the same amount of investment. That's pretty average if you have a good portfolio manager. But most business owners, we tend to think about 15 to 25% returns and sometimes not even in a annual basis. We can make 15 to 25% with the proper investments in our company, maybe even on a quarterly basis. So you got to start thinking a lot different than most employees out there when you start to get into the entrepreneur mindset. And here's another thing that I would like to point out that most people haven't experienced yet is that new entrepreneurs or people who are newly successful they tend to implode themselves and their success with self-limiting beliefs. One of these instances is people have the tendency to fight to hold on to money once they attain it. So let's say you earn that first million, you start to go into a reactionary mode where you're trying to do things to keep that million, even though you were taking a little higher risk before that to get to that point. So you got all these people showing white knuckles trying to hold on to that money that they've created and they're not willing to risk it. And the problem is, is the risk is what got them there. So if they shift and they no longer follow that same process, they're not going to make their money grow any further. It's important to understand that it's a human psychology thing. We always tend to fight more for what we have rather than put that same amount of fight into something that we don't have. If you can control that and be aware of it and put the same level of energy, same level of commitment, same level of performance into fighting for something you don't have yet, you will keep winning. It takes a while to get through that mindset. Just kind of something to be aware of when you finally do get to there because I believe that you will. I trust you will. Employee mindset versus entrepreneur mindset. There is no relationship between time and money. When you become an entrepreneur, and you're thinking about how to create something, create real wealth, you start to realize that there is no connection between time and money. And we've heard this our entire lives, especially since childhood. You may have friends, family, coworkers, boss, whatever, still using that same cliche phrase, time is money, money is time, let's go get some money. That's 
not the case when you start to create businesses or have employees because now you're scaling their time, not your own. So it's not about time. Sometimes you have automated systems. Sometimes you can create online businesses and you are earning millions of dollars while you're not even present. So it really has no value of time. Understand that to get out of the employee mindset, you got to quit thinking about dollars per hour. Most people think about trading their hours for dollars. It's just, that's the employee mindset. That's what our parents taught us. That's what school taught us. And it's a terrible way to think about things because it's going to limit your potential growth. You got to start thinking about dollars per value. What kind of value, what kind of impact can you create in this world, which is going to deliver the dollars? When you start to have extreme amounts of knowledge or skills, you get paid based on the value that you create rather than the hours that you spend. That is a huge shift that most people, even some people who are what we would call self-employed, still haven't figured that out. They're still trading their hours, their time for dollars. You got to get out of that mindset as soon as possible to expand your mind to start thinking about bigger things. When you start making all this money, resist the urge to get fancy. Don't get overly fancy. It's going to take a couple years for this company to grow to something impressive. And what I find is a lot of new entrepreneurs, they start to see this business money coming in and they think, hey, I can go buy this fancy stuff, buy a new car, buy some watches. Ladies, you guys love your shoes and purses. You start spending all your profits instead of reinvesting that money back into the company to make it grow. So here you are spending money when you're making maybe $100,000 a year on this business when you could be reinvesting that money back into the company to make it grow, whether that's in marketing or hiring more teammates or employees or hiring some services to scale that thing, maybe a coach that can get you to the next level like I work with my clients. That's the kind of investment that you make back into your company. And then in a couple of years, maybe you have a million dollar company instead of a hundred thousand dollar company. You don't think you'll be able to find some fancy things to buy later on when you actually make some real money? You will. So. Don't get in a hurry to pay yourself more than you're worth. And what I mean by that is look at the role that you are doing right now for your company. What would you pay that person if it wasn't you? Well, if you were going to hire somebody for that role, what would you pay that person on the salary? That's how much you should be paying yourself out of your own business. If you're paying yourself more than that, you're not doing your business any service and you're not going to grow as fast as your business could grow. Another self-limiting belief that I see a lot of people fall into, especially when they're starting to create their first businesses, and I know we had the idea chapter earlier, but we didn't really talk about the financial goals in detail. I work with a lot of new people who are just starting their first company, or maybe they've been one year into the company, and they're struggling because they've set their goals too low. And what I mean by that is a lot of times people come in and they want to start a company to replace the current salary that they're at. And one of the main questions I ask is why would you want to create a company to only replace the salary that you're making? Now, I know some of you listening may be going, well, why not, Tony? Well, let me give you an idea. It's because a lot of times we define our own self-worth based on a snapshot of what we currently earn at the given time. So let's say if you're a $50,000 person making that at your current job, you start to have the self-worth that you're a $50,000 person. If you're making $150,000, you think that you're a $150,000 person and so on and so on. So you start to create these artificial limits and glass ceilings, literally ceilings of your actual worth or your actual potential. So I try to get you guys out of that. I try to share you with some mindset. 
I try to crush those self-limiting beliefs because let's face it, a lot of times our self-worth is defined by our parents, our environment, our teachers, our professors, our coworkers, our friends, our family. They've created these goals and embedded their goals into your head. Now, I know that some of you are listening right now going, man, I, I never even thought of that. But you know what? That's how most of us were. We never thought about questioning anything that we believed. Start to become more aware and start to question a lot of things that you believe and where that information came from. And what you're going to come to find is that a lot of goals that you personally have, whether that's making six figures or becoming a millionaire, a lot of these goals are not even your goals. They're somebody else's goals that you adopted. And if you start to look around at your closest friends, guarantee you'll find a lot of sources of those goals coming from your friends and family. Because when you have your friends and family telling you, hey man, if you go make six figures, you're going to be successful. You start to believe that. Then you hit six figures and you don't feel highly successful like they all told you you would be. So understand, if you want to start making real money, start hanging around with people with some big thoughts, big money, people who think at a different level, and you will start to be able to think like them on that level. And you'll start to question every single thing that you've ever thought about when it comes to money. And if you're hanging around a bunch of people who are afraid to talk about money, you got to get rid of those people. I hate to tell you because if you are afraid to talk about money, you will never earn money. To wrap up this thought about millionaire mindset, all these kind of things that you think about in order to become more successful, what you're going to find is that you start to think and operate like a millionaire far before you become one. You don't become a millionaire and all of a sudden start thinking like one. You'll be thinking like one and operating like one and making decisions like one long before you become one. And then you'll just be validated on those beliefs and the system that you created. So hope you enjoyed that excerpt. Let's move on to the next chapter. Chapter six, structure. One question that always gets asked is, what type of business structure do I need? To someone just getting started, the information available can be overwhelming to sort through. I'll try my best to simplify the differences between a DBA, LLC, and a corporation. My hope here is that you'll gain a high level understanding of each. This should help shorten your learning curve so that you can start focusing and learning about the specific one that best suits your business type. The main reason we use company structures is to create a defined line between the owners and the company. This is primarily for tax reporting and accounting purposes. The other reason is to provide protection for the owners in case of potential events such as bankruptcy, loan defaults, or lawsuits. In most cases, you do not need to have a company name if you simply use your own name as the business. This is what is known as the sole proprietorship type business. This means that there is only one owner or employee and that you are self-employed. Any income that the sole proprietorship receives goes directly to you. There is no defined line between the owner and the business, but there are risks to be aware of as mentioned previously. If you do not want to use your personal name as the business name, the simplest business to create is the DBA, which stands for Doing Business As. This is basically an alias name you choose to do business under. The DBA company name can be an alias for an individual 
or even another company. The DBA exists purely to provide transparency so that customers can understand who the actual person or company is that they are doing business with. The DBA will still use your personal social security number to track the financials and registration. It is no different than a sole proprietorship and function. It just defines a business name being used. Generally, creating a DBA just requires filling out a registration form within your local county or state. This is usually done through the Secretary of State Office of the state you reside in or the state you wish to register the company in. Most of this process has been moved to online registration nowadays. The DBA is inexpensive to create. It usually has a small registration fee and a small renewal fee. Renewals average about five years depending on the state. Although the DBA setup is inexpensive and simple, there is one major negative of operating solely with just a DBA. The DBA offers you no protection from lawsuits. If someone decides to sue your DBA company, then they can actually go after your personal assets. If you registered a DBA through one of your registered companies, they can also sue the parent company. All liability is taken by whomever owns the DBA. You simply need to define the potential risks of the products or services that you offer and the likelihood that someone could sue because of either. There are millions of DBAs out there operating just fine, but you should be aware of the risks associated with your type of business. Only you can determine if you need an added layer of protection. The Limited Liability Corporation, otherwise known as LLC, is the most commonly used entity for small businesses. As the name Limited Liability Corporation implies, you gain legal protection as your liability is now limited. If someone sues your LLC, they can only go after the assets of your company, not your personal assets. This will be because the LLC is actually a separate entity. The LLC will not use your social security number like the DBA does. It will have a federally issued employee identification number known as EIN that will be used for financial tracking and reporting. The LLC is registered through the state you reside in or the state you wish to set the company up within. There are more forms to fill out, which have to be distributed to state and federal offices. Most of this process can be streamlined by online companies such as LegalZoom.com who do the background work for you for a single fee. The LLC is often the best choice if you are a small company that plans on having few employees. Generally, the LLC is ideal for smaller, privately owned companies that do not have stocks or shareholders. It offers the most protections of larger corporations, but less of the burdensome process and report filing requirements. Because the LLC is a separate entity from the owners, it will require yearly IRS tax filing. Most states also require you to file quarterly sales tax filings, which report your total sales and in-state sales separately. During these quarterly sales tax filings, you will pay your state the sales tax that you've collected from selling products or services within your same state. The C-Corporation is another business structure that best suits a larger company that is targeted for growth. This structure requires more formal documentation and process than an LLC, such as requiring a formal structure of shareholders, directors, officers, and employees. Also, the corporation is required to appoint at least one person to serve on the board of directors, and the officers are required to oversee the day-to-day -day operations of this business. 
If this sounds too complicated for your business model, it likely is. The tax filing is also more complicated than the LLC, which is a deterrent for small business owners. There is another business structure called the S-Corporation, which has a unique tax filing format where all the profits are passed down through the owners, also known as the shareholders. And these are processed as their personal income. The S-Corporation does not do individual tax filing as an entity. There are complete books written on each of these business structures, but hopefully you've gained a conversational insight on the differences of each. I'd recommend that you contact a trusted tax attorney or business advisor if you require more stringent details. There are also numerous resources online to teach you the differences. I've found that LLCs tend to be the most common for small business owners due to the ease of tax filing and the layer of legal protection offered. Sales and Use Tax Permit If your business type will be purchasing and reselling goods or services, you will need a sales and use tax permit. This is a permit that you register through your state office, which allows you to avoid paying sales tax on items that you intend to resell. Your suppliers will ask for a copy of this permit for the records as they have to report these transactions for their own business tax filing. Currently, you're only obligated to charge for and collect state sales tax from customers who purchase from the same state your company exists within. If you're selling items across state lines, there is no sales tax collected. As mentioned previously, this collected state sales tax gets paid to your state on a quarterly basis during the quarterly sales tax filing. Summary, Chapter 6 The main reason we use company structures is to create a defined line between the owners and the company. This separation will provide protection for the owners in case of potential events such as bankruptcy, loan defaults, or lawsuits. Operating under a DBA offers a business owner no protection. It is only to provide transparency to the customers about who they are actually doing business with. The LLC tends to be the most common used business structure for small businesses. It offers protection and minimizes the paperwork and the process. The corporation structures are best suited for companies that will have several employees, executives, and shareholders. Quote, the bottom line is that you are the only one who is creating your life the way it is. The life you currently live is the result of all your past thoughts and actions. You are in charge of your current thoughts and your present feelings. Jack Canfield, entrepreneur and best-selling author. Added content. At the time of the original writing of this book was in early 2018, there has been some tax laws popping up in different states. At the beginning of 2019, we have now 31 states with online sales tax laws. But don't be alarmed, it's really about big ticket items and big high volume companies. If you're a small business owner, you may not even reach into these, but to give you guys an idea, and it varies state by state, so I'm going to encourage you to look up your individual states. But the gist of it is, is if you sell more than $100,000 revenue in any given state, you basically have about 30 days to start collecting tax on further sales that occur in that state for the rest of the calendar year. The other trigger that requires you to start collecting state sales tax in other states is when you surpass 
200 transactions within that state. If you're selling in another state and you happen to have 200 transactions in that state, you need to start collecting sales tax on about 30 days afterwards for those future transactions for the rest of the year. Easy enough to follow. It gets very complicated if you're a high volume, maybe a drop shipper type online business and you've got thousands of transactions going on, but there are apps and there are softwares being developed to help small business owners really collect and focus on when they hit these triggers in the various states. Because let's face it, there's 50 states out there to be concerned with. We're busy people, we're business owners. We don't have time to understand all the metrics for each individual state and where the sales are occurring. But luckily there are apps and software being developed to do that. Just gotta look it up. Just something to be aware of. The brick and mortar businesses in the areas are really starting to fight back and try to get on an even ballpark with online retailers. And I don't have a problem with that. But you know what? There's a lot of brick and mortar companies out there who have avoided the online businesses or have avoided the online business potential. And maybe we should be looking at it as that way. They should have really adapted and did things because many cases out there of very high profile brands that have gone defunct and out of business because they did not adapt with change. So the lesson there is always keep an eye on what changes are coming. And that's why we hire these really expensive accountants and tax attorneys to really keep us in check. Don't avoid the tax man because that will cause you a lot of pain. Do things correctly and things will go always smoother and it's easier to keep on top of things rather than react to troubles or tax man issues later. Chapter seven, marketing. There is a popular saying that you've likely heard. It isn't what you know, it's who you know. I prefer a variation of this phrase as it applies to business. My version states, it isn't who you know, it is who knows you. This is your presence or your omnipresence, your skill at being on other people's minds or on the tips of their tongues for good reasons, hopefully. Think of it this way. You could be the very best person in the world at doing something, but it will not matter if people don't know you or where to find you. Welcome to Modern Marketing. Tell a story. In the current digital age, we are flooded daily by images, videos, music, celebrity spokespeople, and numerous other forms of advertising. Too many companies focus too much on putting their product in front of your eyes. They focus too much on selling something to you rather than telling you a story. Humans are fascinated by stories, and we tend to buy based on emotion. We have grown numb to the generic product sales ads. We want to be given value by companies before we open our wallets to them. We want to know their backstory and find it relatable. The story should inspire, educate, or entertain us. The story should describe a pain point or problem that we have and then tell us how the company will solve this problem for us. It may be a popular story of overcoming adversity or personal challenge to inspire us. A story that welcomes us to a group where a product makes us feel like a part of a movement or something bigger than ourselves. These story methods are time-tested, brilliant methods of marketing, yet so many companies just fail at this process. They think they should continue to stick a product in your face and tell you a price. That is not interesting. 
This even trickles down to the small business owners on their social media accounts. Nobody likes to follow someone that just posts stuff for sale all the time. If I get a friend request from Facebook and their entire profile page is just a bunch of selling stuff or services, delete. That would be like inviting more junk mail into your mailbox outside. Business owners should certainly use their personal profiles to help market their business, but they need to do this with better strategy and tactics. Here's a better way of marketing via your social media profile. First, you need to cleanse your page. You should always view your profile page from the perspective of a new visitor, someone who doesn't know you, basically a potential customer's perspective. If you were looking at your own profile page as a current or potential customer, what would turn you off? Are you posting extremely biased topics that may polarize customers? Are you sharing immature videos or memes or goofy Snapchat dog-faced photos of yourself? Are you doing anything that does not enhance your company branding? If so, hit the delete button numerous times if necessary. Curious customers will also scroll several pages down your feed to see what you are all about. Now, you may be thinking with your ego at this moment, you might be saying, you know what? Screw those people. I am who I am. They shouldn't judge. But this line of thinking doesn't help with reality. You're certainly judged by numerous things, no matter how much society likes to float out the feel-good statements that promote not being judged. Basic human nature doesn't listen to memes or philosophical jargon. You will be judged whether you accept it or not. If you're serious about promoting your company and your business is a priority, then you must act accordingly to promote it. Doing so will absolutely affect your bottom line. Now that you've combed out the bugs of your profile page, you must adopt a mindset that carefully curates what you post from now on. With each post you make, you have to ask yourself one simple question. Does this post help or does it potentially hurt my brand? It really is just a yes or no question. If the answer isn't absolutely positively yes, then assume it's a negative idea to share something. The most important thing to avoid is just always posting about your products or services. You'll get unfollowed in a hurry if you're always asking people to open their wallet. This is the exact opposite reaction that we want if we're trying to market online. We want more attention. Attention can be considered a currency. Just like with money, you want to attract more positive attention and make it grow. The more people that follow, watch, and observe you, the higher odds you will have of gaining potential customers. Share interesting things that you feel that your ideal customers would enjoy. Show people that you're human, especially if you lead an interesting life. Entertain people with amusing stories of your own. Share your vulnerabilities so that people will be able to relate to your story. If you have some advice that could help people, share it without asking for anything in return. The goal here is to provide far more value more often before asking for anything. I recommend that you only ask for something in one out of 10 posts. This will keep people from unfollowing you and new visitors to your profile page will not immediately think you're just some spammer that only posts stuff for sale. They will accept your friend requests. They will think of you when the time comes to purchase. They will share your stories resulting in free advertising exposure. Marketing strategy. 
While it may seem intuitive to want to showcase how versatile your company is with all the talents that you have, marketing does not work well in this manner. You must take on a smaller niche with a more precise focus, especially when just getting started. Think of this as being similar to when someone has a specific disease that requires treatment. They do not seek out a general practice doctor. They seek out a specialist. They want someone with a very specific expertise to help solve their problem. Marketing is exactly like this. You must reduce your broad marketing ideas and focus to solve one problem. This could be done for your entire business model or each specific product, but the marketing must be precise and follow a target niche. Any business exists to solve problems for customers. The customer's problem might just be boredom or wanting to be entertained. Perhaps their problem is not having a vacation planned. It could be a simply a perceived lack of status, so they want some luxury brand item or upscale vehicle. Maybe the problem is just a task or chore that they would like to accomplish easier. Each product or service simply solves a unique problem. The better that you can describe a problem that a customer can relate to, the better you can convince them that you have the solution and the more likely they will make that purchase with you. There are billions of people out there and no shortage of customers. If you aim too broadly and try to market solving numerous problems, you will become a generalist, not an expert. Experts always earn more than generalists. Remember this. Once your company is more established, you can also expand to increase product lines or services. But for now, stay focused on your core business and your ideal customer. Create marketing that entertains, inspires, educates, and attracts that perfect customer. What is a perfect customer? As a business owner, you likely have in mind who that perfect customer is. Take a moment to write down the characteristics and demographics of this person so that you can customize your marketing to specifically attract them. List their age range, sex, location, financial status, hobbies or interests, companies or brands they might follow or use, and other factors that make them your ideal customer. Your marketing needs to speak directly to them, define a specific problem they have, and say how you will solve it. Currently, Facebook advertising is still the best value for the dollar spent. At any given time, the app of popularity may change. Remember, all of those demographics that you just wrote down for your ideal customer? You can select that criteria when advertising on Facebook to ensure that your ad is placed directly in front of ideal customers. You won't be wasting precious ad money on putting the ad in front of the wrong people. This is very powerful advertising. There are entire books on this strategy, but my goal here is just to inform you just enough that you know this potential exists. That is just scratching the surface really. With powerful ads that utilize Facebook Pixel or Google Pixel, you can track visitors to your website and then track their habits and other pages they frequent. Then you can purchase targeted ads from Facebook or Google using that criteria to hone in on perfect customers. That is the reason why you will always see ads for products showing up on your Facebook feed from other websites that you recently visited. They tracked your visit and the advertisers paid to follow you around the internet. With voice technology quickly on the rise via Apple's Siri and Amazon's Alexa, 
You can be certain that those technologies will eventually be listening to your conversations for keywords on brand names and strategically placing the ads on your screen the next time you fire up your device. The marketing world is very tech savvy and proactive nowadays. It isn't simply putting up billboards and buying some magazine page space. Those passive forms of advertising are all but dead. Consistency. Marketing consistency is a subject that you may not see being discussed in other marketing or startup based books. I feel it is important enough to bring up as I've seen so many businesses start extremely strong with marketing and then taper off into oblivion. Sometimes they never recover and many go out of business because of this lack of consistency. I see so many companies doing things poorly. These companies act as if marketing isn't a priority or worth putting a real effort behind. This has always confused me as I know that excellent marketing can absolutely launch a company out from nowhere. We've all witnessed this. Think of some unknown company that caught your eye with unique or extraordinary marketing, which made you curious enough to look them up. That is the power of good marketing. Even when we know the power of good marketing, how can we still have companies failing at it? The companies that lose momentum have just had no directive to maintain consistency. They became complacent. Whoever was in charge of their marketing simply failed at seeing the big picture. These companies feel that marketing is just used for attracting enough customers to fill the capacity of sales that the company can produce. When they start to get busy or get behind in orders, they slack on their marketing effort. I've literally had clients say, we're too busy already. I don't need more marketing. This is a terrible mindset and it should be corrected. Customers appreciate when your company maintains a consistent behavior in marketing. This shows that your company is dependable and values being known. It shows that your company is relevant and still around. Even if your company is extremely busy, realize that this may just be a temporary state. The customers that are waiting on products or service know you are still around because they are engaged in a transactional deal with you at the moment. But when you quit advertising, nobody else knows you still exist. You aren't feeding the pipeline for future customers to think of you. Haven't you ever asked yourself if some company was still around or still in business? While that company may be bursting at the seams with business, they're exhibiting poor marketing strategy. The best of the best companies will keep that throttle floored and maintain market share and keep showing omnipresence even when they are at capacity. Omnipresence is being in more than one place at all times. Your goal is to become the first brand that someone thinks of whenever they need a product or service that you offer or the first that they think of if someone else asks them for a referral. This is how your business remains relevant and nobody ever wonders if you are still around. In business, competition never rests. You must run your business like someone is always trying to put you out of business because essentially your competitors are. You must climb and claw your way to the top of your market niche and never be willing to relinquish that position. You can't keep the throne by becoming complacent, especially when it comes to marketing. Summary, Chapter 7 It isn't about who you know, it is about who knows you. Businesses focus too much on selling something to us rather than telling us a story. The story is what attracts. Appeal to emotions, not logic. 
You will be judged by numerous things no matter how much society likes to float out the feel-good statements that promote not being judged. Your business must take on a smaller niche with a more precise focus, especially when just getting started. Any business exists simply to solve problems for customers. Too many businesses start extremely strong with marketing and then they taper off into oblivion. Sometimes they never recover and many go out of business just because of this lack of consistency. Your goal is to become the first brand someone thinks of whenever they have a need for a product or service that you offer or if someone else asks them for a referral. You can't keep the throne by becoming complacent, especially when it comes to marketing. Recommended Reading How to Win Friends and Influence People in the Digital Age by Dale Carnegie Jab, 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 Right Hook by Gary Vaynerchuk Attractive Story Selling by Mike Fallett Shoe Dog by Phil Knight Quote Dream so big everyone thinks you're crazy no matter what they think about it. The only person that limits you stares back at you in the mirror every single day. Andy Frazella, entrepreneur, podcaster, and author. Bonus content. Social media marketing is one of my most favorite subjects to speak on. I'm very well known of speaking on this very subject in different corporate settings and standing on stages nowadays. And I would like to add a lot more strategy in this audiobook that I wasn't able to capture when I wrote this book a year ago. And you guys are going to get a benefit from things I'm about to share that I've actually spent over a year now at the time of this recording really refining and seeing what works. So I'm going to try to save you guys a lot of headache and trial and error on doing social media marketing. So first of all, let's talk about social media. Let's talk about Instagram. Facebook, LinkedIn, the big three. YouTube, I'm not an expert in. I don't do a lot of videos, but I'm be working on that in 2020. So I won't cover YouTube like I'm an expert in that. I, I'm very focused on LinkedIn, Instagram, and Facebook. There's a difference between people who use these apps. I put them in two different categories. I'd say that there's the consumers. These are the people that just mindlessly scroll, use it for an escape, maybe catch up with their friends. They're basically just there to consume material on Facebook, Instagram, LinkedIn, the big three. Now, the other people are what you plan to be. You're a strategist. You're going to be using social media, which is a very powerful tool for marketing. You're going to be using it with some strategy and intent and also with some certainty. And I'm going to teach you guys my process for delivering some solid social media marketing. But before I get into that, let me categorize the types of marketing because we just talked about it in this book chapter. There's organic marketing and then there's paid marketing. So paid marketing is what I discussed where you're buying ads and you're finding the demographics and you're able to go into the Facebook ads manager and pick all these categories to categorize people down because Facebook has all that data and you're able to target your ads for specific people. That would be paid ads marketing and that would be the only reason that you need to have a Facebook business page other than if maybe you don't have a web page yet, you can still use your Facebook business page as kind of like your web page. But here's the hard truth about Facebook business pages. 
At about the end of 2018, they really put the chokehold on business page access where people generally don't see your post there anymore unless you're willing to pay Facebook to get more eyeballs to come check out your page. So what that happens is it's an algorithm and an algorithm is just a fancy word for a computer program. So don't get too confused by that word. Just think of it as a computer program, something that's an operating system that's going on in the background of Facebook, LinkedIn, Instagram, they all have algorithms. So if we wanna do things without spending a lot of money, because maybe you have more time than you have money and you wanna use your personal profile to, on Facebook or LinkedIn to start to do some business marketing to really create your brand, your personal brand, to promote your business, that's what I'm gonna teach you. I'm gonna teach you how to do this without spending a lot of money to get the hang of it. And you'll find that it's actually pretty fun and rewarding once you start to figure this out. So here goes. You gotta show up every day on your social media. That's the consistency part that I talked about earlier, but I just wanted to give you more detail because here's the thing about consistency. That word is a very fundamental word that we've heard our entire lives. You've heard about being consistent, show up consistent, work hard consistently, but you know what? What happens is the word is so commonly heard and it's a fundamental that a lot of people disregard it. They don't put much focus on it. They hear the word consistent and be consistent and they go, yeah, 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 I got that, I got that. Let me, let me try to find the magic bullet to really get my business going. But what it is, the fundamentals are there for a reason. So sometimes you gotta go back and focus on the fundamentals. And for consistency in social media marketing, that means showing up every damn day, guys, every day. And if you think that you can't handle that, I hate to tell you that there's going to be other people who are willing to do that and they're going to get better results than you because they're willing to do that. Because as simple as it seems, consistency is the differentiator between success and complacency for most people. And consistency is always rewarded because you start to build trust within your audience. When you show up every day, you're delivering value, you're helping people, you're answering questions. When they like you, they trust you, they do business with you. It's really that simple. So if you're not willing to show up every day and create some kind of a content, and I'm not thinking like overkill here, guys. It's just really sharing maybe a thought that you have. Maybe it's something you're working on. Maybe you read a book and you do a little short review. Or maybe you tell people what your plans are. Or maybe you just share some advice. That's letting people know who you are. You're building a social media window for them to get to know you. So when they like you and they trust you, they'll do business with you. It's really that simple, but you gotta keep showing up because here's the thing is that a lot of new entrepreneurs out there, they go really hard for about the first two months and then they don't get the attention that they feel that they're entitled to, so they quit. It starts to be where nobody's watching their videos or throwing them likes on their posts and they start to get discouraged and they start thinking like, man, I feel like I'm talking in an empty room. And some of you may be listening to this book in that current phase right now, but here's the good news. Most people, I would say 99% of people quit within the first three months because they think that they're entitled to more audience than they deserve or they've worked for, so they quit. But you know what? If you're willing to stick it out six to 12 months, that's the number I've seen repeatedly over and over with clients and everyone else that I'm helping, people in my 365 Driven Entrepreneurship group on Facebook, you're welcome to join that, by the way. It's a free group. Come find it. But six to 12 months would be the minimum commitment for you to show up every day, create some kind of a post, let people know you're breathing, you're alive, you're doing things, you're 
hustling or whatever you want to do. Just share some value so people get to know you. It's not about selling. It's about being social on social media. It really is that simple. Be social on social media. Ask questions. Here's the key, guys. A lot of times people use their personal profiles as a megaphone just all about themselves. They just want to talk about themselves. But you know what? That gets really old. And unless you're some mega celebrity, most people aren't willing to hear like you talk about yourself every day. So I need you to shift and think about your audience. Always put your audience, always put your community first. What could I do today to inspire them, intrigue them, entertain them? Maybe, maybe, just maybe, you're supposed to be asking them some questions because here's the secret hack. Most people are craving some kind of attention and they look for opportunities to talk about themselves. They're always looking for opportunities to talk about themselves. So when you invite them onto your digital stage, which is your personal profile, by asking them a question, you create engagement, you create conversation because when you ask them an intriguing question or make a bold statement, and don't be afraid to be polarizing when you make these things because here's the thing, if you try to make everybody happy, try to make everybody like you, nobody will love you. Sometimes it's good to be polarizing and I'm not saying to be polarizing as if to instigate people and attack people or be you know, offensive. It's about just sharing your true opinions on things and your, your true thoughts because when you start to step into being authentic to who you truly are, that's when you start to attract your ideal audience because let's face it, you only wanna serve your ideal customers, the people that you were put on this earth to serve and when you act authentic and you share your genuine thoughts and your opinions, that's when you start to attract your ideal audience. If you just try to throw out the warm fuzzies out there and try to make everybody like you, nobody's going to love you. They're not going to support you. You're not going to get down to your final, final true audience. So always remember that. But ask questions, engage people. But here's the other thing that you, there's one step that a lot of people fail at. A lot of people ask the questions. People will respond to those. You create engagement on your posts, but then the person that asked the question doesn't go back and create the miniature conversations within that post. So if somebody's going to give you one or two seconds of their time to respond to your post, respect them by responding back. Thank you. Hey, I appreciate your comment. Or maybe you ask them another question to keep the conversations going. So where this leads to is this is always for a reason, okay? Not only are they getting to know you, then they start to support you and they really like what you're doing, but what you're doing is you're creating an engaging post, which is defeating the algorithm. There's that magic word again. You're defeating the computer program of these social media platforms. So let me paint the picture of the algorithm so you understand why we want to create engaging, highly active, highly liked, highly shared type posts. Facebook, LinkedIn, Instagram, they are a business. And they know that the longer they can get somebody to stay on their website, in a matter of minutes, seconds, hours, whatever, the longer they can get you to stay on their website, they know that they're gonna be able to place more advertisements in front of you, which means they're going to be able to generate more revenue from you or get paid by the advertisers to be able to put that ad in front of you. So it's in Facebook, Instagram, LinkedIn's best interest to only put content on your feed that you might enjoy. And they keep track of all the things that you like. So if you ever notice, like sometimes you just, never see any of your friends' posts and you'll go visit their profile page and you'll see like, man, I haven't seen this person's posts in like 
three months, but here they are. They post every day. How come I don't see their stuff? That's because you're, you've shown a tendency to not like their post or interact with their posts. So the algorithm thinks that maybe you don't want to see their posts, so it doesn't put those on your feed. So in order to get your post onto their feeds, you need to make something that's engaging, that's creating a stir, creating a conversation, it's being shared, maybe going viral if it's even possible. And you do that by the method I just talked to you about. You create engaging posts, asking questions sometimes. I would say 90% of your questions or 90% of your posts should be asking other people questions or what they think about things and then having miniature conversations within that post. And so what happens is the algorithm wakes up and they go, hey, that there's something going on in that post. It must be interesting. There's a lot of people talking on it. So what they do is they start to put that post on more of your friends' feeds. So at the time of this recording, Facebook has a 5,000 friend limit. You only see about six or 7% of those people with each of your posts. But as your post gains more momentum and becomes more interesting, the algorithm starts to put it in front of more of those people. That's how you trick algorithms. That's how you create a huge social awareness. That's how you build your audience by creating engaging posts. You can't just use it as a megaphone, guys. Use it as a stage. Invite people onto your stage. And don't be afraid to be social on social media. So let's talk about the types of posts that you can use. This is another thing that relates to the algorithm. Certain types of posts have more organic reach based on the algorithm because Facebook and Instagram and LinkedIn all want to really enhance some aspect of their website by rewarding those type of posts to get higher rank so they get in front of more people, more of your friends or more of your followers. That would be live video right now. LinkedIn is currently rolling that out. It's being beta tested. It's going to be big on LinkedIn. Facebook still loves live videos because they're competing directly with YouTube. So they want to make sure that everybody gets used to doing their live videos and posting their videos on Facebook rather than YouTube. So if you do live video, that's going to reach more of your audience. If you do a recorded and uploaded video, that's still going to be a better reach organically. It's going to get in front of more eyeballs than just a text or written post. Third in that line, I would say it's an image post. So if you upload a, an image that might be entertaining or intriguing, something that'll get a lot of likes, something that'll get shared, that would be number three. Number four, I would say would be called the background screen posts on Facebook. It's where you create a maybe one or two sentences and you're able to pick a colorful screen. You've seen them, there's like a dog and a cat and there are rainbows and all these different images where you could put it in the background. Those get ranked a little bit higher than just an ordinary text post. So use those when you can. And finally, the ordinary text posts where you're just writing a paragraph or a few sentences and things like that, that's ranked the lowest on the algorithm. It's likely going to see the less amount of people unless something within that post is very engaging and creates, there you go, engagement to get more traffic towards it. Think about strategy. Don't just be mindlessly surfing social media. Think about how I can create engaging posts to get people to interact with them and then take the time to interact back with them. You'll have this immense, immense algorithm boost. More people will see your posts and then that's going to reward your personal profile by attracting a bigger audience. You'll get start to get followers. Once you cap out on 5,000 friends, you can have unlimited followers. There's people out there with millions of followers on their personal profile that's another thing, just a real quick note there. If you wanted to do marketing and build your social brand and your personal brand on Facebook or LinkedIn, 
you got to unhide and unlock your profile. It only makes sense, guys. Like you can't have a private Facebook profile if you want to do marketing because then you're only marketing to your small group of friends. If you got a business, you want to make the entire world your customer base. So we talked about earlier in this chapter to go back and cleanse through your personal profile to get rid of things that are not related or maybe things that are too private. Get rid of those things. If you really want to take your business serious, you need to start using social media to build your personal profile into a marketing powerhouse machine and do that by creating engaging posts. One other thing that I really want to mention, because I see people failing at this all the time, is when you make a post on LinkedIn or Facebook, never, 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 let me say that a few times, never use an external link that leaves Facebook or leaves LinkedIn. So if you've got a website link or if you've got a YouTube link or if you've got any links, don't ever put that in your main post. So if you create a new post, never put that link inside the main post because that is an algorithm suicide because now the algorithm's like, well, now they want people to leave my, my website. So if you think of it from Facebook's perspective, they're like, hey, this guy posted a link to leave our platform. Oh no, I'm not putting that in front of anybody. So you basically get ghosted on that post. So there's a trick around that. So it's not hopeless, okay? If you want to share a link, put it in the very first comment. And you know what? That's how you do it. That's the hack. That's the way to get around that algorithm. So create your engaging post and go, hey, I want you to check out this thing. The link is in the first comment below. And then go respond to yourself with the link in it. Because as of the time of this recording, they haven't started hammering the comments yet because they can't control who responds to the posts, but they will hammer you and kill your organic reach if you include any links that leave Facebook or LinkedIn. So don't put those in there, embed them into the video. If you're gonna do a live video, just say the link. That's even, that's the best. Like if you want the best combination of links, do a live video and mention the link at the very end of the video. They'll never even know it's in there and more people will see that. So those are my hacks. Be willing to do that at least one post a day, but I'm gonna, I'm gonna press you. If you guys wanna be superstars, do three posts a day. And I'll tell you, time matters. Think about when most people are surfing social media, your customers, and I'll give you the hint on there because I've done the analytics on several different business models, but typically around eight to 9 a.m. is when people start to get online. And then more people start surfing the social media platforms around lunchtime. So figure between 11 to one in the middle of the day, and in the evening, it's typically about 7 to 9 p.m. People go home from work, they have their dinner, then they kind of sit on the couch or whatever. They're surfing the internet in the evening, usually between 7 and 9. So if you can strategically make those three posts per day on the platforms of your choice, do so between 8 and 9, 11 and 1, and then 7 and 9 p.m. So that's kind of a trick there because you want to you know, get the most organic reach. If somebody sees your post instantly and they like it and they comment to it, it kind of starts like a snowball effect and more people will see it, the more people respond to it. That's the hacks, guys. It's very simple, but again, it takes consistent effort. And if you want to win and do this the right way, you got to be serious about it and not think that this is just an optional thing. But hey, you know what? If you're sitting on a pile of cash and you don't want to really spend the time to do this, hire a virtual assistant from a website like FreeUp with three E's in the middle. Go find a VA 
You can find people on the other side of the world that you can create this process and hand it to them and they'll just do that for you. Or you can hire somebody, maybe an intern at your company, or maybe even your teenage kid, you can pay them a few bucks an hour to go create some engaging posts for you just to kind of keep your presence going. So there's always options, but the main message is that you gotta do this, guys. And here's the thing. If I am sitting here in the middle of 2019 right now, I'll tell you that organic reach right now is all at LinkedIn and you can build your LinkedIn profile and it's starting to become more like a social media platform for businesses, which perfect if you're a business to business type operation or you just want to create a bigger network of entrepreneurs or business owners. LinkedIn is rewarding more people right now, especially with videos. If you're using videos on LinkedIn, you're getting some crazy organic reaches. Like sometimes I'm getting a thousand to three thousand views on a video where I could post the exact same video on Facebook and maybe get 600 to 700 views. That's because LinkedIn is making a push right now to become more social and they will reward you with organic traffic if you come use their platform to do so. But here's the thing guys, that doesn't last forever. Facebook used to be the same way three or four years ago. And as it starts to become more prevalent in the platform and more people are using it and more people are doing that, they basically reduce the algorithm and they reduce the reach of your videos. So right now, LinkedIn videos is the hot ticket. Go press yourself to make some videos and put them on LinkedIn because I'll say that window of opportunity is probably only going to be here for a year or two. And then they're going to start throttling down on that once everybody figures it out. And then you are back to being like Facebook business pages, which are a ghost town unless you spend money. Hope you enjoyed that strategy. I really wanted to get you guys going, but if you ever have any questions, come find the 365 Driven Entrepreneurs Group on Facebook. Join up. We share all these kind of strategies in there every day, and we try to help people get better with their small business. Chapter 8. Website. Now that you've got your branding and marketing strategies in place, it is time to build your digital hub of activity. Having a website is a highly critical element for nearly every business model. Think of your website as the first impression that the majority of your customers will experience about your company. What do you want your opening impression to tell them? If you were to put up an unprofessional, sloppy, low-budget looking website, what will that tell customers about your quality or level of service? They may begin to wonder what other aspects of your business that you cut corners on or have no care about. I recommend that you do the website development once and do it right the first time. Once the website is set up, most require little to no maintenance going forward. Setting up a website is much easier nowadays than at any time before. Even if you've never had any experience building a website, there are numerous do-it-yourself DIY website hosting companies and online apps available to help make this process somewhat simple. You really only have two options to get a website up and running. Either pay someone else to do it or be adventurous and learn something on your own. If you can type words on a keyboard and drag images around on a Word document or a slideshow presentation, then you likely have enough skill to build a nice website. Logo design. You've established your business name, but you need to have a nice logo to represent your company. This is important for branding. Think about it. The best companies that you can think of all have some sort of easily identifiable logo. Their logo may not even contain any words, 
and you can spot them from a distance and know what brand they are. That is the power of good branding. It is simply about recognition. You want to have an icon that customers will identify with instantly. Unless you are savvy with Photoshop Illustrator or other digital graphics software, I'd suggest that you keep this simple. There are a few freelancer-based websites available filled with designers on standby waiting for your project. A very popular website for all sorts of freelance work is Fiverr.com, spelled F-I-V-E-R-R.com. When you visit this site, you can type in a search for the type of work that you need to have performed. You will find logo designers out there that will work for as little as $5. Fiverr has freelancers located all around the world and the strength of your local currency relative to theirs can make this a win-win for both buyer and creator. Simply type in logo design in the search feature and you'll find hundreds of designers with different styles and methods available. You can view their profile to see their feedback ratings from previous customers. You can compare their skills. You will see that various packages that they offer and prices for each. I suggest that you hire two or three of these designers for your logo since they are inexpensive. Then, in a couple days, you'll have several ideas to choose from. Make this a fun event with your friends and family. Have them help you pick out the best logo. As someone just getting started, you may find all sorts of business-related services from freelancers on sites like Fiverr. Design Strategy Before we get into the building and designing of your website, I feel it is important to discuss some design strategy and philosophy for websites. I see far too many websites done poorly and I want to make sure that yours is done well. The most important visual part of any website is the main page, specifically the area known as above the fold. This is the section that you immediately see when you first arrive on any website that fills the screen before you ever scroll downwards. It is critical that this above-the-fold section contains just enough information to convey what your company does. A visitor should never arrive on any website and wonder to themselves, what does this company do? What do they sell? This section of your website should answer that question for them in order to immediately grab their attention. This section should be relatively simple, clean, and not too distracting with busy graphics or a bunch of links and text everywhere. It just needs to serve one, the identity of your brand, and two, tell people what you do. The description of your company does not require a lengthy paragraph explaining all of the services or products that you sell. On the contrary, actually. Too much information in this section is usually distracting and not recommended. Most well-designed websites often contain the brand logo near the top of the screen, a simple background image that relates to the company products or services, and one simple sentence that tells a visitor what you do. Think of this sentence as your most simplified elevator pitch or mission statement. If you had to describe your business in one simple sentence, what would you say? Here are some examples. For a t-shirt retailer. Custom-made shirts that tell your story. For a marketing agency. We ensure your potential customers find you. For a real estate group. Let us help find your dream home today. For an automotive performance shop, we will make your fast car go even faster. For a coaching site, 
gain confidence and knowledge to reach higher levels. In each of these examples, you may notice a trend. The statements are presented in such a way that they are helping solve a problem for a potential customer. Your website is never supposed to be talking about your company. This is especially true on the main page. The About Us page of your website is where you should list out the company history, merits, experience, and other information about your company. People generally do not care about the details of your company. They only care about what problem you can solve for them. A poorly designed main page consists of too much detail about the company itself, as if you are really just marketing the company to other people. If they are on your website, you already did enough marketing to get them there somehow. Now that you have their attention, you need to focus on solving their pain point. What problem do they have that you can help them with? This mindset shift to the customer's perspective is very important and it should guide your entire design process of your website. Your entire main page should be devoted to representing your company as merely a knowledgeable guide which only serves to help people solve their problems. Another good thing to have on your main page are customer testimonials. Bonus points if these are on video. Video testimonials have historically had the highest conversion rate of turning browsing customers into purchasers. Numerous studies about consumer psychology show that most people never like to feel like they are the first to buy something, so they inherently trust the testimonials of others to make a decision. Most website designers suggest having at least three customer testimonials presented, but no more than six. These would be further down the website page, not something above the fold section. These design subjects offer just a taste of website design strategy, but there are numerous experts and books that focus on the subject, but the basic ideas presented above will get you off to a great start. You should have already purchased your website address, also known as your domain name, and there are simple steps to follow with the website hosts in order to use your website address for your new website. DIY website. For those of you willing to give it a shot and build your own website, there are several website hosts and software formats available. The most simple would be to use one of the various DIY, do-it-yourself website companies which also offer hosting for your website. Think of the host as some location on the internet where your website is parked and made accessible at all times. You will be able to edit and update your website from your host's control panel screen once you have an account with them. You will be able to practice, learn, and completely design and build a website privately. Visitors to your website only get to see the site once it is published. Even when it is published, you can continue to make revisions and updates in the background and then just publish the newest version. To find a website host company, use Google to search DIY Website Builder and you'll find several companies to choose from. These searches will also find articles that rate the quality, support, and service from each of these companies. All reviews are worth reading. Some popular DIY sites are Wix, Weebly, One and One, and Squarespace. You may find that just because some host company names are more popular, it doesn't necessarily mean they are better. It just means that those popular brands spend more on advertising and that they have built up name recognition. Pick a company and sign up for a hosted website package using their online website building software. With most of these DIY website builders, 
you can typically browse the company's online catalog of website templates or themes as a starting point. These themes will be the visual layout of your page. Don't worry about feeling locked into your first decision as most hosts allow you to change themes at any time. Find a theme that resonates with your company that you feel will attract the ideal customers best. Once you have the theme selected, you simply work around the page and add content on the page. Attach photos, create text, add graphics, videos, and such. This usually involves uploading those files from your computer onto the host server and then selecting them from a file once they are uploaded onto the host. Most can be dragged to location with a mouse, resized and such. This is really simple stuff. You can also create new pages that link from your main website page. These new pages are typically things like about us, contacts, products, services, and other suitable things that you feel require their own page. WordPress website. For a more customizable website, most companies are now moving to WordPress online software to create their websites. WordPress is a bit more complicated to set up than the typical DIY formats presented earlier, but it offers far more custom features and add-ons called plugins. You can either use a reduced version hosted at wordpress.com or a more deluxe version using wordpress.org. Your WordPress-based website will also require a website host and many website hosts offer WordPress packages that neatly include the software that allows you to create and edit your page. These package deals also make things convenient as the host will install the WordPress software and set up the server structure for you. Once your account is set up with a host, you will build your website using the admin panel online. Just like the DIY type websites, WordPress offers thousands of potential themes to start from. Some are free, and some could cost you a little bit more for a one-time purchase license. I've seen a typical range between $20 to $100 for a license to use one of the premium themes. WordPress gets the advantage of having numerous other companies, developers, and designers that use this software format to create plugins, themes, tools, and offerings that will enhance or automate functions on your web page. You can seamlessly integrate your social media updates to your page, create beautiful blog posts and articles, and essentially control every visual aspect of your page. While DIY pages can certainly look great, a WordPress page can be customized to take it to another level. If you need help setting up a WordPress page or theme, you can also find freelancers that have these skills over at the previously mentioned Fiverr.com. Sometimes it is just best to pay an expert rather than waste weeks of learning. This site can be relatively simple for you to edit or update once the theme styling and graphics are set up and functioning. For new business owners with limited website building experience, I'd still recommend one of the DIY websites as their first website. The ease of use, low cost, and simplicity are great for any startup business. If the business grows in revenue and profit, then you may justify a website upgrade later on. Keep it simple and functional. Remember to design your website from a customer's perspective, not your company's perspective. Custom email account. Some website hosts will offer to provide you with one of their own email inboxes using your website domain address. I do not recommend using these included email accounts. 
One main reason is that many of these companies make it very difficult for you to transfer your emails and contacts out should you decide to move to a different host later. That means you could lose months or even years of emails and data later on. That is never good. Another reason is that these free accounts are difficult to customize, organize, or log into. They are really clunky and inefficient in most cases. Instead of using the free email accounts, create a new Google Gmail G Suite business account. Visit gsuite.google.com and then select either the $5 or $10 per month package based on your needs. Follow their instructions on how to create a business email account that uses your custom website domain address. This makes your business look more professional by having at yourbusinessname.com as the email address. It looks very unprofessional and sloppy when someone uses a generic email address for their business, such as yahoo.com, gmail.com, at aol.com, and etc. It is a very simple process to create this Gmail G Suite account with all of Google's functionality and your custom email address. You also get the added benefit of the other Google business supported apps, such as their integrated calendar. This calendar works great for setting up appointments, meetings, events, vacation days, and having reminders reach you via email or text notifications. Summary, chapter eight. Think of your website as the first impression of your company that the majority of your customers will experience. The most important visual part of any website is the main page, specifically the area known as above the fold. This is the first thing you see before scrolling down. If you had to describe your business in one simple sentence, what would you say? Customers generally do not care about the details about your company. They only care about what problem you can solve for them. Using a custom email address with your own website domain looks more professional to customers. Quote, it's not about making it perfect. It's about taking action, getting a result and adjusting accordingly. Mel Robbins, best-selling author. Chapter nine, conclusion. If you've made it to this point in the book, I applaud you. Statistics say that most books go unfinished. This is either a testament of how awfully most books are written or an illustration of how most people are just not that committed. I'm going to take the latter reason in this case. You've proven that you are truly dedicated to building something. To fully capture every bit of knowledge and nuance of creating and operating a business, it would take what more closely resembles a volume of encyclopedias. Remember those? That was never the intended purpose of this book. My intention is that you get up to speed quickly and to shorten your learning curve. Having completed this book, you are now armed with enough knowledge and resources to actually start your business. You should now have much more confidence during conversations around the topics discussed. While you now should be capable of navigating the process of starting a business, you're never done learning. Entire books exist on the subjects presented within each chapter of this book. There are paid professionals that specialize in each specific chapter as well. Whenever you feel the need to strengthen in a specific area, I urge you to learn about that subject. Even as a successful entrepreneur, I've continued to learn almost daily for my entire life.
Sometimes lessons are right before our eyes, but we are too blind to see them. Never be afraid of learning as you go. Starting is the most important thing you can do. There will never be that perfect time, as that time is now. Bonus content. As we're nearing the end of this book, I wanted to take this opportunity to fortify your mindset and create some expectations on my own observances through my entrepreneurial journey for the last 20 years. And I realize that this is usually not part of building a business, but I think as you saw earlier in the book, mindset is critical. To me, mindset is the foundation upon which your business or your success is built. So that's why I spent a lot of time with my coaching clients and my communities to help them grow the really strong mindset to be prepared for business success. You're going to learn that as you evolve, or as some people would say, as you level up, although that sounds very cliche, I'm going to call it as you evolve. As you improve and evolve through your course of your life, you're going to do things to make yourself stand out from the pack. And that's going to cause some friction with other people who you surround yourself with. There will always be three different categories of these type of people that appear while you're evolving, while you're improving, while you're chasing this journey, while you're living out your big dreams. You're going to have critics, you're going to have haters, and you're going to have naysayers. And I want to spend a little bit of time here to distinguish the differences between those three categories so that you're able to understand and identify who each of these types of people are. So let's start first with the critics. Critics are typically just those who are on the fringe and they just basically throw out passive aggressive comments here and there. And they don't really generally support the things that you're doing, but they're just offering really deconstructive feedback. And you know, they're basically just wanting to put their two cents in. So take it for what it is. They're just critics. We're always gonna have them. And here's the other thing is, Anyone that says they don't have critics, naysayers, or haters, the truth is that they are just obscure and they're not doing anything worth noticing because I can assure you, I've seen this play out many times in my life, that as soon as you start to do things that become noticed and other people are watching, you will definitely have critics, haters, and naysayers appear. If you're not, that means you're not doing anything extraordinary. When you start to become noticed by doing things, by making changes, by improving your life, you will gain these three categories. Count on it. I want you to expect it. So the haters, they're usually the most caustic type people. These are the ones who generally root for you to lose. They don't want to see you win. They try to throw roadblocks in front of you. They try to knock you down a notch. They try to take down your ego. They try to level you. They try to make you discouraged. And they're always just generally giving you negative feedback, sometimes passive aggressively, embedding those insults into a compliment sandwich. So you got to be watching out for those kind of people. Get rid of those people as soon as you can. Now, naysayers are a different category. And here's the, here's the hard part about being naysayers. Naysayers actually may be people who love you. They may be your spouse. They may be your best friend. They may be your coworkers, your friends or peers naysayers, you got to understand where they're coming from. They generally care about you typically, and they're giving you advice based on their own level of risk acceptance. So they're giving you their opinions based on what they would do if they were faced with that same decision. 
So what happens is you need to learn to process this critical feedback from these critics, these haters, and these naysayers, and understand, did these people provide constructive feedback? Did they come to you from a place of love? Did they offer some kind of a solution, or are they just trying to discourage you? Now, the other thing is when the naysayers especially, which can be really the most critical because they're the people that we love and we feel like they care about us. So we tend to put more emphasis or weight on their criticisms or their advice, but that's not the right answer for you because I want to teach you that you really shouldn't be taking advice from people who have not done or attempted at least the things that you wish to achieve. Because as great as Cousin Frankie and Aunt Becky are, they may not have the same level of knowledge, skill, expertise, risk acceptance, or financial backing to be able to do what you want to do. So always take their advice from the context of who is offering the advice. Say thank you, smile at them, and then just understand, do you need to disregard that? Because have they done the things that you wish to achieve? Have they ever showed a tendency to put themselves out there and try to do something similar to what you've done? So context guys listen to the advice put it into context of who you're getting it from and then you'll start to understand is this advice valuable or not because i'll tell you free advice has cost a lot of people millions of dollars just because it's free doesn't mean that it's not valuable so don't always pay attention to that so finally with these critics haters and naysayers what a lot of you out there will be finding out as you try to find approval from these people and you need to stop seeking approval from other people besides yourself. Because let's face it, this is your life. Your life. It's all in your hands. Every decision you make from this point forward on listening to this book is going to dictate the course of your life. As I mentioned in earlier chapters, the life that you're currently living in this very moment was based on the decisions you made years ago to lead you to this point. So you are in complete control of your life. Don't let these external people and outside environmental factors dictate where you're going to end up in the next few years. You get to make that decision and every single decision starting today going forward, which is going to get me to that life I want, which is moving me away. It's really a yes or no question that most people just do not really understand. Even the simplest things like what is the food on the end of your fork that you're about to put in your mouth? Is this moving you towards your goal or is this moving away from your goal? Every single decision, guys, every single one is getting you closer to your journey or moving you away. It's really simple. You got to just be aware of things that you're doing and what is it going to get you to the goals that you want. Another topic. There is no such thing as being self-made. Yes, we've all heard that. Self-made multimillionaire, self-made successful person, self-made. There's no such thing as self-made unless you're in a room by yourself and you have no contact and no customers and nothing else and you have only yourself as the resource. You know what? Then I'll call you self-made. But here's the thing. A lot of times people have this false pride about being called self-made, but that's just ego, guys. Ego will cost you years and a small fortune. Learn to ask for help. Don't do things like I did and make mistakes. I could tell you in my 20 year entrepreneurship journey, I will say that me trying to figure everything out by myself probably cost me about five years of productivity and profits. And when you think about that, five years is a lot of money potential, 
because I had this ego, or maybe I just didn't have the money to be able to afford the, to hire experts or ask those questions. But I'll tell you, 90% of my problem, just like most people's problems, is they're unwilling to ask for help. They're unwilling to ask for advice from people who know what they're doing. They're unwilling to hire a coach or a mentor, invest in themselves, attend business seminars, read books. There's so much information and people out there available. And you'll find that the most highly successful people quit asking how to do things and they started asking themselves who has the answer to do these things. They can shortcut this thing by asking the right person the right questions to get the answer to move you past that hurdle in a quick manner. If it costs you money to have that access, I can tell you the time wasted alone will be a lot worse than the money spent. So think about trying to put away your ego, trying not to be self-made because let's face it, self-made gets you so far, but it doesn't get you into the millionaire range and it definitely doesn't get you into the billionaire range. Start thinking about a mindset shift. Ask for help. Learn to ask for help. I know it's hard, guys. I know it's hard. I still struggle with it. But you know what? It's something you need to be aware of and just do it. And you'll be so thankful and glad that you just ask for help. Because a lot of times we have these big problems in our mind and we ask somebody that actually has the answer and they give us the answer and I'm like, wow, that was not as bad as I thought it would be. But if you were to sit there and struggle for weeks or months or even years trying to figure something out, yeah, that's a lot of pain to go overcome from just asking a few questions of the people that know what they're doing. So guys, just trust me on this. Ask for help. Now, getting back to the unsupportive people, you need to learn how to get rid of these people quickly in your life. And I know on social media, a lot of people will be like, you know, I'm just going to unfollow that person. But you know what? To me, unfollowing is really non-committal. That means just saying like, oh, I just don't see their post. But you know what, if these people are truly unsupportive or negative or critics or haters in your life, just get rid of them, unfriend them. And if they still persist in trying to bring you down, block them, guys. Don't let these people in your head. They are already joining the party of negative self-talk that's already going on in your brain and they're not invited to that party. So you need to be able to learn how to control access to keep these people out of your life. And you know, there's still some people that you might be friends with or family with but you can do things strategically by creating distance. You can create distance by limiting access to you. You can create distance from people by limiting their time to you. And you know what? You need to start finding these people that replace them because there's a lot better people out there to replace everybody that you lose. That's the beauty of it. This is an ongoing process. You're not going to shed a bunch of haters and critics and then, then you're done. I'm going to tell you as you keep leveling up in the rest of your life, you're going to meet more people who come and go as critics and haters and naysayers, and you gotta get used to this pattern that keeps forming, but realize that there are thousands of people out there who are better, who are willing to replace those people, but you gotta go find these people. You can find them in online groups and communities, especially like Facebook groups or LinkedIn groups. Join some groups with like-minded people who are supporting each other. If you wanna join my group, it's called 365 Driven Entrepreneurs, it's free. There's about 3,000 people in there at the time of this recording, but feel free to find it on Facebook, search for it, apply. And if you're not a spammer, I'm gonna check your accounts because we always make sure that we curate to let the positive people come in. So it's a very supportive group. There's a lot of other groups like that to choose from, but find these people online. Do not just limit your circle of influence to people within your zip code or your city. 
That's thinking too small. And if you're just getting to the end of this book, you know that I don't think small. I have friends all over this planet, guys. I've got friends in Australia, all over Europe, in Russia, South America, Central America. There are some amazing people on this earth. And the internet makes this a smaller earth that we can reach each other, communicate, see each other on video conferences, write emails back and forth. There are some amazing people out there. Don't be afraid to step out of your zip code or your city or your state. Go find these people. They're out there. They're willing to help you with their arms wide open. Now I want to talk to you about the ABCs of success. This is something that I've really distilled my entire thoughts down into the ABCs of what led me to success because I've always asked this question and I really wanted to get to the simple fundamentals of this and conveniently it came to A, B, and C. So A is action, B is belief, and C is consistency. You heard me talk about consistency in a previous chapter, but let's talk about those ABCs. Action. You gotta take action. There's too many people out there sitting around, hoping and praying, having these good visualizations. They're doing all these amazing things in their mind, but they're not taking that action, guys. Action is the distinguishing factor to becoming successful. If you're not willing to put your next foot in front of the other and start actually moving towards doing something and putting yourself in motion, nothing is ever going to happen for you. You can't sit around and hope and pray. You got to try. You got to do something. And I'll tell you that nothing motivates you like progress. So take the smallest baby steps if you have to, but enough baby steps add up into miles and miles of progress. You'll start to look back on your trail and go, wow, I've covered a lot of ground. Baby steps will get you there, but you got to take action. And I hope that if you're reading this book, that you are that action type person. You've already invested in a book. You've spent some time. You've listened to me for hours trying to help you. Take action, guys. Don't finish this book, put it aside, and then think about it because that's just not going to get you to the goals you want. Remember, every decision you make or every inaction you take is either going to get you to your goals or it's going to move you away from your goals. Simple as that. Start taking action. Now let's talk about B, belief. Belief is just believing in yourself no matter what other people say. There's going to be people who say, oh, you're so crazy. I don't get what you're doing. They're not going to understand you. They're going to doubt you. They're going to criticize you. They're going to make fun of you. But you know what? You got to believe in yourself. If you can't believe in yourself, nobody else is going to believe in you. And you know what? You don't even need them to believe in you. If your belief is strong enough in yourself, if your purpose is strong enough in this world, you just need to execute and believe. And you're going to be successful if you can believe. There's going to be a lot of distractions along the way in forms of people or jobs or different opportunities or all these other things that can jump in your path. But if you believe strong enough, you will get to the finish line because the belief is the only thing that's going to carry you through those down times and the hard times and the challenges. So action, belief, and consistency. Again, consistency, fundamental, showing up every damn day, guys. I can't overstate this enough. Consistency is going to be your secret weapon. And if I see you out there and you tell me that you're killing it because of you read this book, I guarantee that you're being consistent because that is the number one thing that most people in this world lack. They lack consistency. And it's so easy 
Everybody's out there searching for the magic pill or the magic silver bullet to get their answers. They're ready to buy all their solutions, but you know what they lack is just consistency. It's that simple. The answer is simple, but the work is not simple. The work is hard. It's hard to be consistent, but if you want those rewards, you gotta be consistent, guys. A, B, C, action, belief, consistency. Remember, big dreamers change this world. Critics never do. Chapter 10, Journey. Here I sit at my desk, writing the last chapter of my very first book. Truth be told, I've had this book inside me for several years. I just kept putting off writing it. What stories or businesses are you keeping bottled up inside of you? Do you have the answers that could help someone else? Use that as your motivation to do something. Here is the story of my entrepreneurial journey. There were no business owners or entrepreneurs in my immediate or extended family. I grew up being told to make an honest living. This meant, generally, to finish high school, find a job, find a wife, have children, and follow my destiny to live in suburbia. Earning six figures seemed so far beyond reality, something that was only reserved for wealthy people. This average lifestyle just never really appealed to me. I grew up in a lower middle class neighborhood in a tiny house. Every home that I grew up in, my parents bought as a basket case fixer upper that we would remodel over time. My family always took pride in anything we had, even when we had little. I suppose this instilled in me my habit of looking at the potential in things. I look beyond how something just appears at the moment. I've carried that belief into looking for classic cars that need restoration and when looking at people that I can help bring to a higher level. I am an optimist. I always try to see the potential in others. Despite my humble beginnings, I was never blind to what existed outside of my immediate environment. My neighborhood was older, but it was surrounded by some much nicer neighborhoods. My hometown of Friendswood, Texas was one of the most affluent suburbs of Houston with an excellent school system. That was the reason that my parents moved us there so that my sister and I could get a good education. As a kid, I'd ride my bicycle through the nicer neighborhoods and dream about what it must be like to live in one of those bigger homes. Seeing people with extra cars in the driveway just seemed so far away from my reality. But I had evidence that this more extravagant lifestyle existed and I knew I wanted it. I became hungry. I'm fortunate enough to still remember the very first time the light bulb came on for me in terms of scalability and earning millions. I was watching TV with my mom in the early 1980s as a preteen. I can't recall the exact show, but it was some afternoon talk show with featured guests. There was a silly looking Japanese man as a guest on the show, and he was wearing a white shirt with a bunch of colorful rubber octopuses sewed to it. My mom is Japanese. So we both were curious about this guy. This man was Ken Dr. Fad Hakuda, the inventor of the popular wacky wall walker toys of that era. These were the sticky octopuses that you threw against the wall and they would slowly tumble down the wall. These toys were on every store counter, in every gumball machine, and in every cereal box as a prize. I even had a few myself. As we listened to the interview, I heard him say that he sold 
200 million of them. Even though they only sold for about a dollar a piece, this guy was a multi-millionaire because of this idea. That vision of scalability has always stuck with me. I wanted a new skateboard and a new bike. No company would hire me at age 11, so I figured out how to earn money. My dad gave me permission to push our lawnmower around the neighborhood and knock on doors. I charged $10 to mow the front and backyards. I'd balance that metal fuel can on top of the engine and push that mower from house to house to any that seemed to need a trim. If they declined my mowing offer, I'd ask if I could wash their car for them. I usually got one, sometimes both gigs. Recurring revenue. I started to have repeat customers on a weekly basis. Trust me, I hated mowing yards, but what other choice did I have? Complaining wouldn't get me a bike. Some of the other kids in the neighborhood thought it was weird that I wanted to work. I bought that bike and many other toys. There have been numerous things that I've done to monetize my skills along the way. This lasted even through most of my 20s before I started actual companies. I've done things such as installing car stereo systems and alarms in the driveway, detailing cars, building woodworking projects, flipping purchases, small hand-built inventions, automotive photography, freelance magazine journalism, and even university paper illustrations. I even hand-drew signs and flyers for local businesses before the digital age arrived. If I could teach myself something and earn income from it, I did it. I've always been wired this way, and I still am. I got my first real job at age 15 when McDonald's discovered our small town. I worked there over two years during high school. While I don't recommend working at a fast food restaurant, I will tell you I found some value there that most probably didn't even notice. I learned how an efficient process for every aspect of a business can greatly improve the business. We had a defined process for every single task, every single product. There was even a separate VHS video for every single process to train employees. Everything at McDonald's was about time efficiency and earning money. There was an emphasis on workflow, timing, portion control, consistency, and repeatability. While coworkers were just thinking it was some crappy minimum wage job, I was taking mental notes on everything. There is a reason that McDonald's grew exponentially. It wasn't because of the food's tastiness. Marketing, branding, and efficiency rule the domain. I was the first person in my family to graduate from college. I attended the University of Houston. It was a struggle, and some of the worst times of my life were during that period. I was essentially a walking zombie, suffering from constant sleep deprivation. I paid for college myself while working full-time. Engineering school was much more difficult than high school. While I earned mostly A's and graduated in the top 10% in high school, I suddenly found myself as a C student, barely making average grades in college. The stress of the studies and being broke really put me through the paces. To make things worse, I was also driving unreliable Nissan that was 10 years old, and it would occasionally leave me stranded roadside. It was all I could afford at the time, and I had to learn to fix it myself when it broke. I share this to illustrate that I wasn't some genius that had everything figured out. Not even close. In 2000, our country was facing another economic recession, and I was laid off from my job. I had no savings, and I had to survive off of credit cards for several months. This really put me into debt, 
and things really hit a financial and mental low for me. I had a newborn son and a failed relationship with his mother. I have no doubt that I was in a deep depression for over a year as I don't even seem to have much memory of that period of my life. All I could do was work whenever and wherever I could. I repaired cars, waited tables, and minimized my expenses. My small apartment felt more like a prison cell since I couldn't even afford to leave it to do anything. I continued to teach myself new skills in hopes of monetizing them. I learned how to program HTML and to create websites. I learned Adobe Photoshop and Illustrator. I started messing with graphic design and creating basic websites. I cold called plenty of small businesses that needed websites and I began building websites for them. Eventually the recession evaporated, I had another job, newfound skills, and more side hustles. It took me three years to unbury myself from all that debt. In November of 2001, a car friend and I started an online community for performance cars. This creation was a result of doing something better than what currently existed. We were both members on another car forum which suffered from being unreliable. We grew tired of how that other site was being mismanaged, so we created our own. Our website, ls1tech.com, surpassed the competitor in only two short years in terms of member count and financials. Our website community grew into the largest General Motors-based website on the internet in only a few more years. At the peak of our ownership, we had over 150 paying advertiser accounts, and the site traffic averaged over 100,000 unique visitors per day. Even General Motors advertised with us. Today, that online community has over 300,000 members. This business was an exercise in scalability, branding, and marketing. There was no social media back then, so we grew the site organically by networking and advertising. We'd have car parts and gift certificate giveaways to encourage people to sign up. We'd reach out and cold email or cold call potential advertisers found in magazines. My business partner John and I would work on this website almost nightly for the first two years. We had no idea of the potential as our goals were originally set much lower. We simply blew past goals all the time. Looking back at the sale of that company in 2007, we just did so many things right in terms of valuation. We had years of documented revenue, an astoundingly high profit margin, well-defined processes, a recurring revenue business model, minimal operating budget requirements, a positive cash flow business model, unique branding, and no full-time employees. This side hustle made both of us into millionaires while we both had full-time careers. Even today, this seems crazy to have been a part of. No matter where you came from or what you currently know, just understand that the potential for success exists for those willing to work for it. Nothing worth having comes easily. You have to set goals so that you do not wander around aimlessly. Once goals are established, it becomes easier to identify the necessary steps to reach those goals. Without goals, you're basically lost without a map. You have no destination identified. There is no get-rich-quick. There is only discipline, consistency, and patience. With a goal in mind, you can use it to determine every key decision in your life. Each time you arrive at a fork in the road, your goal will serve to highlight the proper direction. Which decision moves you closer towards your goals? 
Which moves you further away from them? Which path will you decide? The most important message, get started. Quote, fear and confidence are both imaginary. You simply decide which one to live with. Tony Watley, best-selling author. Bonus content. You may have heard that last line in the quote that I just stated as introducing myself as best-selling author. The paperback version of this book says something different. It says, Tony Watley, hopeful best-selling author. Let me give you some backstory on things because it's been a year since the paper version came out in the recording of this audiobook. When I started writing this book in January of 2018, I created a vision board on my computer desktop screen. So basically I created a collage of things that I would like to own or homes that I would like to live in, vacation places. All these things are on my vision board so that every time I fire up this computer or I shut it down, I see the background screen and it's my vision board. It's my digital vision board. In the middle of that, I put the Amazon number one bestseller logo. It's a gold crest. You may have seen it on my website, but I put that right in the middle. And here's the thing is I put that on there in January of 2018 before I typed the very first word for this book that you're now listening to. I basically made it my goal to write a best-selling book. I figured if I'm going to sit down and devote several hours and several months of my time to write a book, market it, and put it out there, I wanted to see if that I could prove that my business model works for books. So I basically put it out there and I announced that to my online social media audience that this is what I was going to do. I was going to write my first book and that I was going to achieve bestseller. I don't know if some people rolled their eyes and they said, you know, who's this guy? He's just never written a book before and he's making some bold claims. But I did. I put that out there and there was a reason for that because How could I teach you to become someone to build a personal brand, to use marketing, to use websites, to use online social media marketing, especially how could I teach you without proving my business model, without proving my process? So a few months later, after I started writing the book, the paperback book launched in May of 2018. During the launch week, it sold over a thousand copies in that first week. Now, realize that most books that are written out there only average 250 copies their entire lifetime. This book sold over a thousand copies in the very first week. It hit number one in three categories on Amazon in one day. It actually made it to the number 11 book for the entire personal development section within Amazon. Ahead of millions of books, guys, it made number 11 on the biggest list of personal development. The only bigger list would be fiction versus nonfiction. That's how this book grew. And this was all due to the principles that I shared in this book for building a company. I just applied those to writing a book, guys. Branding, positioning, marketing, website, social media, and personal branding campaigns. I created a lot of content. I shared with the audience. I kept them engaged. I let them share their valuable feedback during the process of writing this book. And there's so many of you listening to this that I know supported this and I'm thankful for you. A lot of people that I know personally got to watch this entire journey unfold as I was writing the book, marketing the book, 
putting it out there, doing the launch week. During launch week, I did three live videos per day around 8 to 9 a.m., 11 to 1, and around 7 to 9 p.m. Those are the same time frames I tell you guys in a previous chapter about creating social media engaging posts. That's what I did. Because here's the fact. You could write the very best book in the world. You could create the very best business in the world. But if nobody knows about it, it wouldn't matter. Nobody would read it. Nobody would buy or listen to what you're doing because they don't know who you are. So you've got to take a serious effort into building your brand, putting it out there, creating a massive amount of value for your audience and your customers and your clients, and you will get the results. So you heard me in the audio version of the book is best-selling author. I called that out before I wrote the first word. I was hopeful best-selling author before that happened, before that week. The book has gone on to sell thousands of copies since then in this past year. It's had an incredible reception. I've been interviewed on over 100 podcasts and on radio. It's been an amazing, amazing journey. And I just wanted to tell you guys that the same principles that are in this book apply to many aspects of your life, whether that's business success, fitness, or diet. And here's some backstory on the book itself. I had to be very authentic with myself. I had to be willing to step into my actual character and who I actually am in order for this book to become the success that it has been. I wanted to say that when I wrote this manuscript, the title of this book was actually originally called The Hustle. And that's a play on my previous semi-pro nine ball billiards pass that I had in my college years. And it was also a testament to the screen name that I've used on all the automotive communities for the last 20 years, which was nine ball. That was my screen name. So I figured I'd have a little cute tongue in cheek play on words and call the book The Hustle because, you know, it's the hustle and the grind and it kind of had a little dual meaning. So I thought that was kind of cool. But I gave this manuscript to my editor and he read it and he came back to me and said, Tony, we got to do something about this title. The Hustle, that's not your story. And at first I was kind of confused. I was like, well, it kind of is my story. I mean, what do you mean? And he basically illustrated because you're not stepping into your full story. You are a side hustle millionaire. You earned millions of dollars from a side hustle. I don't know very many people who have earned millions of dollars, much less doing it as a part-time job. Are you kidding me? That's your story. That's what's going to help sell this book. And I'll tell you, I'm a very humble person and I didn't want to come across as pompous or arrogant or be judgy McJudged by all these critics and haters. But you know what? It was my story. You guys are seeing the title of this book, Side Hustle Millionaire. Those are only factual words. So no matter how many times people can bend that around, try to stomp on the truth, roll their eyes, make fun of it, facts are facts. That's my story. But you know what? I didn't accept the idea for the title change immediately. I said, you know what? Let me think on this and I'll get back to you tomorrow. I'm really going to think about this title change. And I'm glad I did because what it made me realize was, man, he's right. That is my story. I need to be able to have the courage to step into being my story and not worry about what critics say. Because if I'm not willing to step into my genuine, authentic story, how am I supposed to be able to serve thousands and millions of other people with the advice and the knowledge that I have to share with them? And that is my biggest purpose. My biggest purpose is to create a positive impact on the generational legacy of millions of people. And I'm going to do that by teaching people confidence, having a strong mindset, and the business principles that I've learned over the last 20 years as an entrepreneur. 
That's my best way to serve this world, impacting millions of people. You guys that are listening to this book, I hope that you consider yourselves part of that millions because I feel that I am trying to help you and I hope you hear the passion in my voice right now. So I decided, okay, we will change this book title from The Hustle to Side Hustle Millionaire. And I have no regrets. It's been an incredible year. They now introduce me as the Side Hustle Millionaire when I get onto shows or I take speaking engagements and I'm standing on stage. For a while, I'll admit it was kind of odd to hear that, but you know what? It is my character. And regardless of the people who have come out to criticize, they're the small minority to the thousands of supporters that I've found over the course of this past year. It's been an incredible journey. I just really wanted to emphasize that you need to call your shots. There's the billiards play on words, right? Call your shots. Put your goals out there. Others will help hold you accountable if you don't trust your own self to be accountable. Others will help you if you only put your goals out there. Now, I know we've all heard this phrase or seen a meme, hustle hard in silence. I disagree. I don't think that's a good constructive way to hustle hard in silence because what this does is it leaves you a convenient back door to escape. If you don't put your goals out there and let them be known, that means it just gives you an alternative to quit without anyone ever knowing that you tried. And this goes for your diet, your fitness, or creating this business that I know you are going to do after you've listened to this book. Put your goals out there, burn your plan B and go all in on yourself. Remember, action, belief, consistency, ABCs of success. You have to keep trying. Most people quit. I'm counting on you to not quit. Stop avoiding the temporary pain of change and accepting the permanent pain of regret. You can get through this life and have an amazing journey along the way if you can do a good job of trying to remove things that will cause you future regret. Always remember that. Resources. Thank you. Thank you for spending a few hours of your time with me. Your time is the most valuable asset you have, and I'm grateful for the time that we have spent together. Our journey together doesn't have to end here. I want to invite you to participate within a supportive community created specifically for people just like you. If you visit my website at 365driven.com, you'll find a link to my Facebook group. It's a free community with thousands of other entrepreneurs just like you. It is a place to safely ask questions, get feedback, and learn and share knowledge. We discuss topics on mindset, self-improvement, and business strategy. You can also find the group by searching 365 Driven Entrepreneurs on Facebook. Since you prefer to listen to audiobooks, surely you're listening to podcasts too. In 2018, I launched the 365 Driven Podcast. On this show, we discuss the topics of wealth, health, mindset, and relationships. These are the four cornerstones of happiness and success. Within each episode, I share powerful thoughts and introduce you to influencers, thought leaders, and experts within these subjects. The 365 Driven Podcast is available for free on iTunes, Google Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, iHeartRadio, SoundCloud, and Stitcher. If you carry a smartphone, you can listen to these shows for free. I've interviewed some amazing guests, and they share incredible knowledge and perspective on the show. I'd also love to hear from you. 
You can contact me through my website or through Facebook, LinkedIn, or Instagram. You can find my social media links at 365driven.com or by tagging me with hashtag 365driven. I would be honored and grateful if you would share this book with your friends and leave me an online review from where you purchased it. When a book receives more reviews, the seller places it in front of more people who may need the help found in these chapters. I hope that this book helps you find your own definition of success. I look forward to hearing from you. Tony. Audible hopes you have enjoyed this program.